So after watching okay, that, I'm not gonna say anything. Don't say anything. Hit record and start oh, I talking. Already, I already hit record. So okay, good. This is what I want to say. <laughs> Basically, first off, I want to because of what I've just been through emotionally and intelligent uh, with my brain, my brain, the sauce it's floating in right now. I kind of just want to be the teacher who like rolls the cart in with like the video player underneath it with the little VHS and hit play, and then we're just gonna like kind of. We're going to let things happen, then we're going to talk about it. Okay. Because um, that's, the, I think, the best way to do this. So let me go to my list of clips that I already have constructed here. And we're going to we're gonna start here with... Uh... Okay, well, let's do an intro. Cause... Oh, hello. <laughs> yes, hello. This is the beginning of uh, Reality Issues, episode um, 14, I believe, right? This is season two, episode three. That much I know. And, uh, and and I'm Brian, and this is Kathy. Hello, Kathy. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Hello. And uh, today we have recently watched. Um, well, I have recently watched JFK, but we have been chatting about it, Kathy. We have we, it's, Kathy saw it recently, very recently. And um, well, here I'm just going to go ahead and uh, let's see. I'm going to play this clip here first, and then we'll get to like some the other two clips that I really want to get to. But this will kind of set us up. When he's arrested, Marina buries him with the public. Her description of him is that of a psychotic and violent man. I have too much facts, and facts tell me that he shot Kennedy. After they kept her locked away for two months, surrounded by federal people, and fearing she'd be deported back to Russia, right? the poor woman was probably suffering from nervous exhaustion. They taught her how to answer. And when they think she's ready, they buy new dresses, polish her appearance, and wheel her out on cue. I would like to thank the Warren Commission. Now Oswald was no angel, that's clear. But who was he? I'm lost, boss. What are we saying here? We're saying that when Oswald went to Russia, he was not a real defector. That he was an intelligence agent on some kind of mission for our government and remained one until the day he died. That's what we're saying. Therefore, because Oswald pulled the trigger, the intelligence community murdered their own commander-in-chief. Is that what you said? I'll throw you one better, Bill. Maybe Oswald didn't even pull the trigger. Nitrate tests indicate he hadn't even fired a rifle on November 22nd. And on top of that, they didn't even bother to see if the rifle had been fired that day. 
Yeah, his palm print on the weapon. Well, it went to the FBI, Bill. The FBI didn't find a goddamn thing. It comes back a week later, and one guy in the Dallas Police Department suddenly finds a palm print. For all we know, it could have been taken off Oswald in the morgue. There's no chain of evidence. I never could figure out why this guy orders a traceable weapon to this post office box when he going into any store in Texas, give a phony name, and walk out with a rifle which can never be traced. To frame him, obviously. There's a lot of smoke there, but there's some fire. We're talking about our government here. No, we're talking about a crime, Bill, pure and simple. Y'all got to start thinking on a different level, like the CIA does. Now, we're through the looking glass here, people. White is black, and black is white. Just maybe Oswald is exactly what he said he was. Patsy. Okay, and just remember that at the end of that one day when they lock me up for something that they've accused me of doing, even though I'd never leave the house. <laughs> Everyone at home. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, a lot to digest there just in that one two-minute and 39-second clip. But the first thing I would say is that I love how this film, in, uh, made in you know over a course of several years, but you know being released in 1991, analyzing the events happening in the middle, well, early to middle 60s, and then um, being reflected and watching that today, uh, with all the time in between. Uh, there's a there's a, a card that comes up at the very end of the film where it says, and, I, and I'll, I'll read, we'll get into the, what exactly it says at the end, because I'll, I'll pull it up. But um, there's a card at the end that basically entices the viewer to go on your own journey and find out your own truth about all of this. And, and I think that if the film, by that point, um, hasn't inspired you to do so, then I don't know what film you could have been watching. Now, I think it's a very significant uh, work of filmmaking that can, that can create that um, before we really get into anything about it. So I would highly suggest going and watching the film. I would, you know, at this point, if you haven't, if you don't want to know exactly how it's laid out, but I mean, ultimately, this, is, this, is, this whole podcast will essentially be enticement for you to go and watch the film on your own. That's what I'll say. Um, Kathy. Is there anything you'd like to say right off the bat uh, after <laughs> having basically the film lay out the fact that um, perhaps everything that people have been led to believe was wrong, but in the different way than they maybe even thought if there was a conspiracy? <laughs> Oof. Okay, so I think I kind of want to provide a little bit of context of my own life yes. again, because I... I I don't feel that any of us can consume any media without contextualizing it in our own lived experience. This is also what reality television has taught us. Mm -hmm. So um, the film came out in like 1991. Yes. Okay. So I was all of 10 years old mm -hmm. when this film came out. Now, I know that I've mentioned before about how my parents are Mexican immigrants and there was this like huge buy-in into the American dream. It is no exaggeration to say that JFK and the concept of American Camelot had a lot to do with why my parents believed this American dream. Yeah. Um, 
And I don't even want to be because like, oh, like people thought like JFK was like a papist or whatever, you know, right. like my parents are like Mexican Catholics. Right. right. But like uh, that's they never brought up Catholicism with JFK ever, by the way. Hmm. Like and we also weren't like strong Catholics. But um, uh, again, I say this because like for me as like a 10 year old, uh, the only other film that really like um that i associated oliver stone with was platoon mm, which was a vietnam okay. war movie right okay so like now i can look back and go oh like well he did all this other stuff apparently he had some shit to do with scarface i think he like wrote it or drafted i don't know i don't care mm -hmm. because i never like associated him with it until i was like i don't know until i was like a criterion nerd but when i was a kid I only knew his name because of Platoon. And my brother had been like always wanting to go into the military. Again, this is one of the like how our family bought into the American dream. Right. Uh, my brother bought wholesale this concept of you got to serve your country and it's like the noble thing to do. And that's how our parents got citizenship. Why wouldn't we do this? Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I watched Platoon. I don't remember watching Born on the Fourth of July, though my I would believe that I would have watched it with my parents. Like it sounds like the kind of thing they would have watched, especially because my dad like loved Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, but I don't remember watching it. And that would have been around the same time. Anyway, um, I had no concept of like Wall Street. That was still too adult for me as a 10-year-old. Um, but JFK was like a president. And so, like, I think my parents also wanted me to watch it because they were like, oh, look, it's a story about JFK, an American president, our right. greatest hero, and exactly. whatever. Name, like, I don't think they... The, it doesn't imply necessarily that it's, like, the ultimate conspiracy thriller. You may be right. like, oh, it's going to be a biopic about the man John F. Kennedy. And I also watched the Elvis uh, Baz Luhrmann biopic recently, mm. so this is actually going to be a really nice contrast. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> but... All that as a way of saying, I don't think that my parents like out like we watched JFK because they yeah. were like, Ooh, look, weird conspiracy theories. They were just like Camelot, America, the guy who did Platoon, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. so we watched it and I remember watching it. And um, uh, you and I also discussed earlier about like the cast. <laughs> Yes. Which is quite impressive for a the film. The cast and... is basically everyone in Hollywood at the time, it feels like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anyone who had any cash was there. Mm -hmm. Which I love. I um, mean, that sells the conspiracy. You know, there's four million characters in real life, and there's every character in Hollywood required to fill it out. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, a couple of years after this movie came out, um, when I was like 13, 12, uh -huh. 13, okay. my brother was graduating from basic training in the military, in the okay. U.S. Army. And we traveled from California to um, his basic training, which was in Oklahoma at that time. And uh, we stopped in Texas and we stopped in Dallas and we actually went to the grassy knoll. And, okay. Um, My, 
in in the city that I grew up in, in Downey, California. Okay. Um, I went to Downey High School, but our rival high school was Earl Warren High School. Wait. And, really? Yeah. Yeah. Named after Chief Justice Earl Warren. I don't know what his connection was to the neighborhood. I don't know if like if there was any. They just named it after him. But um do you know? I always thought this was really interesting because like when I was in school, I was always like, oh, look, like the Warren Commission. And I was like the only high schooler who like knew those words. I just want to say, uh, as you said that, uh, 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 I was handed a note that said to say that uh, Jim Garrison was secretly in the film playing Warren when they're mm-hmm. dragging like the body there or whatever. Yep. So there's. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. To, yeah. To for receiving thank you i give credit to whoever handed me that note (laughs) it's if you go in there it's perfect we just went and looked it up in the meanwhile there Um, anyway so like uh (laughs) i feel like it was for me anyway the movie came out uh, like i don't want to underestimate like I, i don't know what the status like the reputable status is of Oliver Stone at this exact moment. I don't know if he's a crank. I don't know mm. if he's a Joe Rogan. Yeah, I like, say, I, like I haven't checked. I'll honestly. say this: he was on he was on Chapo about nine months ago, talking about this like update two hour film that was kind of just footage and stuff that he had acquired or never used or whatever. And uh, and I remember him sounding kind of like uh, just your your basic lib by today's standards, and not like you know you know really representing probably what he was representing at the time back in the day but i would say that um he definitely still had he was leading the charge on he basically repeated what was at you know the text at the end of the film for today and today's words that's what he did um so like keep it alive keep watching the film think keep an open mind all that stuff but you know so like when i'm 10 mm-hmm. right again right this is 1991 i want to contextualize this in the moment right um i'm again i'm like a millennial cusper right like i'm right on the edge of gen x Mm -hmm. and uh what i know is that having seen platoon and then having seen jfk i became incredibly uh just skeptical of my government right like Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even even though, and, and again, I say this because my parents like fled Mexico. There was always a concept and uh, that government is by its nature corrupt, I, and that power corrupts, and that money talks, right? So like, um, and yet there was still this belief that things were different in America by my parents, um, and it was movies like this that were really undermining that belief in the American dream for someone like me. Right. Um, because I, it was really countering what my parents were saying, which was like, Mexico's bad. Yeah, it's corrupt, but America's not like that. Mm, right. And then we get here and I'm looking at this and I'm like, yeah, they are. Yeah. You know, anyway, like, no, but, but I'm, I'm like a child, right? So like, it's like this awareness, this awakening. It's, it's also at a moment that my parents are studying for their citizenship and, you know, Pete Wilson in California is saying Mexicans need to leave. And like, I, I'm thinking about this, like in the concept of like, like in the context of the Cuban revolution and the way that uh, America was talking about Mexicans and Cubans and Guatemalans, even then, right? Like a lot of that hasn't really changed. Um, 
but seeing those connections of like JFK, Cuba, Havana, the mob, yes, uh, the CIA, yes. the military, like Russia, like like really starting to put all that shit in there. And again, I, we talked, we started talking about JFK because it, I watched it after I watched The Irishman, which was the story about Jimmy Hoffa, right? Which also talks about the mob and Russia and Cuba and like all of those things. And like yeah. that comes up in JFK. Yeah. And, and um, I think at that point when I was watching the film, I recognized the fact that people were, you know, in that, in the, the dramatization of the film, they were displaying people being shocked and surprised by, Oh, all these members of all these different organizations are working together to one goal, but it's not like any of those organizations don't work together on any kind of goal on any daily basis. They already do. It's just that this is already, it's because it's people in power belong to different organizations and thus it just works out that way. It's not like the mob as a gang are conspiring with like the FBI. It's that people within them have alliances, but they're also doing the thing that they do. And so that's why it sounds so preposterous to people when you're saying, oh, there's seven, eight, ten different organizations compete. It's, no, it's just people in a wide-ranging conspiracy did what they did and used their positions of power to complete their objective, which is to make it look cloudy enough. Well, it's also what The Wire taught us, right? right. Like, yeah. you can't talk about drug trafficking without talking about the politics, the economics, the shipping. Yeah. The like logistical reality of what that means and then all of the like splash effects. I mean, and that and that's just true of any of our supply chains, right? Like tomatoes, baby formula, right? Yeah. Like fucking pick any single thing and it's like it it doesn't just have it, it's not just that one commodity, it's everything that's associated with it, right? So if so if we say we're going to get rid of, you know, uh, we're going to eject capitalists out of Cuba, yeah, that's going to impact the casinos. Yeah, that's going to impact the high rollers. That's going to impact the people who are bankrolling the casino. That's right. going to impact the workers, right? Like all kinds of shit. But that's true about anything, right? The Tesla factory or water in Flint, Michigan, or the Permian Basin and how we're mining and shit, right? Like, wh what difference does it make? We're still talking about the same kinds of things. Someone still has to get all of that product from point A to point B, right? So sh all of that shit's still all the same. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, some is more legitimate than others, right? It's because some of it comes in a suit and a tie. Uh, some of it has a JD from Yale. And some of it is just some fucking mojado from Chihuahua, right? Sometimes like, the that's cargo all it is. is legal, sometimes the cargo is illegal, but everything's moving from point A to point B and it needs to get there. And in between, there's people that are willing to do the things, no matter what it is. And even if that isn't literally moving something, it could be moving people. It and whether it's ideas. gold yep. or drugs Weapons, yeah. or humans, mm -hmm. right? You're going to need the Pinkertons who are providing that security because any, anything worth shipping is worth money which means that anything worth shipping is worth stealing, fundamentally. Yep. And well, speaking of, I mean, uh, thinking back just the recent news, uh, I remember when I was starting my other podcast, I was talking a lot about the, the, have you been keeping up with the LA train heists? Like there's a few bends in LA. No, that not been, recently. Oh, this is wild. So if you go and look in, in recent news, um, there's been four or five different stories in different outlets about the, it's not just a train heist. It's there's a few locations where cargo trains uh, that conceal like FedEx boxes and other shipping. I think DHL is also another one that gets hit a lot. They've been, they actually have now like factored in the regular robberies of these trains where they found 
discarded boxes for things like sniper rifles and like machine guns and all kinds of things that get shipped through the mail and people go there specifically they know to go and take it and at this point like they once the media found out and they told law enforcement they're like yeah this this we, we thought this was a big deal and it is but it happens so frequently and no one's even paying attention to it that at this point like like people will go just to get the leftovers of when they like tear the train car apart and like get like whatever's left in there because it's like the criminals have left and there's still tons of valuable things in there too so like um and yet that you think that would be a huge story but yet it it's not at all um so I was, uh, so I do remember when there was that um, train derailment in Los Angeles because there was so much um, like debris on the tracks. That was like the last thing that I heard, which was a few months ago now. Um, but I think I've mentioned that I've been driving back and forth a lot in New Mexico between Northern New Mexico here in Santa Fe yes. and down South in Roswell. Yes. But, you know, we have a lot of railroad track in New Mexico. Yeah. And along those directions, because these are also like the tracks that lead back and forth to El Paso, um, there are a lot of train cars that are just kicking it out in the middle of nowhere the fuck New Mexico. Yeah. Right, because it, it seems like, it, uh, and I thought about that, because one day I drove by, mm. and it was just like a train that was like, I don't know, dozens, maybe even maybe even a couple hundred train cars long. But because it's out in the middle of the desert, it's not blocking intersections, right? Things like that. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, you know, it's a lot harder to rob them all the way the fuck out here. <laughs> Yeah, when but I did immediately start like planning like an Italian job heist, you know. Oh, I mean, I absolutely that that one scene of Breaking Bad where they like yeah, steal shit in absolutely. the middle of the train. I was oh, yeah. like, I can do that. That's easy. Like, I think that the all you need to do to rob a train really is just see if a train's going by on a regular schedule. You wait for the schedule and then you wait for the stop and you wait for the guards to go by and see if everything's clear and then you just go and take all the stuff. Like, it's not even a complicated heist. There's not like you're probably not doing it. What are you bringing like a battery powered angle grinder with you at most to break off like a lock or something like that? Like I can understand why it's like a crime that people are doing like all the time because it doesn't require anything that people aren't that are committing crimes like that already aren't. I mean, it's the hottest target you could possibly get. And it's going to drive away at some point and nobody will probably even know it was stolen from until way, way later. <laughs> Again, if Scorsese movies have taught us anything. <laughs> Yeah. It's that this is a lot easier than we think it is. Totally. Right? All it takes is, like, someone willing to do it, right? But, like, I mean, kind of to that point, right? Like, like it's easier to steal baby formula from the Walgreens than it is from a train. So which am I going to do? Yeah. Well, right? Like, I mean, as a normal human being, yeah. and I say that, like, in that, like, like you know, and... Uh, I don't know, like it still seems like too much effort, right? Like you still need all kinds of shit to be able to pull something like that off, right? Like it, like we make jokes about, like I'm making jokes about like Scorsese movies, but the reality is, is if we wanted to fucking hit up a train out in the middle of the New Mexico desert, we would literally need a trained team of professionals, like some Breaking Bad bullshit. Yeah, you would need you people like that. Because you can't just do it. No, no <laughs> yeah. random people can't do that. You actually do need no. people with experience, which is funny because what that means is every time you hear, because I when I also started doing the other 
podcast, I was keeping track of a few other stories as well. Very odd, strange stories, like major crimes that were just like thrown away in the little tiny column, like in New York City. And I, the first few that I found were like uh, a, a crew, a small crew, like a Grand Theft Auto style, like three guys who hang out basically got this idea that they knew this like uh, um, guy who moved a lot of drug money uh, and he was like a courier and they figured out that they could rip him off by taking uh, an Apple watch and taping it to a, one of those batteries and just sticking it under the car and waiting for it to get where he was, you know, making the exchange. And they just let that go through a couple times and they figured it out. Well, this is always where he goes. And without him even being there, once he like goes into the hotel or whatever, he leaves the money in the car. They just take the money. Eventually this all gets found out. It's a whole conspiracy. They un Un, uh, unraveled the whole thing. By the time I was reading about it, they were already being like uh, sentenced in court or something like that. Um, but like, how can that entire thing go on and you don't even get like a Netflix movie about like the guys who like used a tech watch to like do that? Or, or even this, like um, there was a shooting in Times Square uh, like three, four months ago. Um, there was like some people rolling by in a car. I mean, like there were lots of witnesses. It, was a big th it just went over in like a day. Um, and like they never even like as far as I know, followed it up. I mean, I read the post almost every day and I didn't see anything because I was like, this is shocking. Like, why would this never even get covered? But I, I think about all the time, what I guess I'm talking about is like perception management. I feel like a lot of time there's all kinds of crimes and all kinds of things that if, you know, um, someone's not directly looking for them, if someone's not on the scanner that day, let's say like the um, uh, sort of uh, uh, passive information doesn't come across their desk. I think there's all kinds of things happening in our world in general that are never we expect like the media to deliver all the answers to us or all the headlines of that are what's really the the absolute headlines let's say you mm -hmm. could know everything that's actually happening in the world that day people think that they look at the newspaper i think most of the time or most people look at that and assume oh that's all that happened that's crazy all these things this is wild but like if they could see the 99 percent of the things that are actually happening much like in, covered in this movie where they give a very long, what sounds like convoluted explanation, but really it's just saying, here's this other world that exists. We live in it. You don't really know about it too much, but this is where we live. And um, uh, the more- Well, like, I, I mean, it also gets, I mean, it, I feel like it comes back to some of these fundamental things we've even been saying about reality TV. Whose stories are worth telling? Mm -hmm. Whose stories do we listen to? Right. Right. And then which ones like, quote unquote, go viral. Right. We, we, like and, and the, there's no like there's no real formula for that. Right. But um, if a fucking American president can get assassinated like this. Yeah. We still have no idea who did it. Right. Right. Like we can find like Black Lives Matter protesters because of the Etsy T-shirt they're wearing. But we can't find who killed JFK. Right. Like, exactly. And because what it tells me, it's like because we only we only find what we're searching for. And if we're not really searching for it. Right. Like the people in power didn't give a shit who killed JFK. It wasn't in their interest to find out who did it. Could they, were, they have. I'm sure they could have. Yeah. They were still right? alive just, and in power. <laughs> but it's also like and yet these people also decided that the Etsy protester at the fucking Black Lives Matter protest with the fucking silly cloud pun t-shirt or whatever the fuck it was totally worth finding right so what may what this lets me know 
right? Is that like no like no one's gonna give a shit if like someone assassinates me. No. Like I'm not an American president. Like right. I, I'm just a person. So That's like if thing, someone yeah. literally guns me down in cold blood, are they gonna give a shit? No, because no. they didn't give a shit about JFK. No. Who am I? And can I just <laughs> say that I live every day in my life pretty much thinking about that? Like I do what I do going in the face of the fact that like I know that one day something like that could happen and I don't really care. Here, like I'm, I, that's just a fact that I live with, whatever, and I'm resigned to that, and I just move on with my life. So, you know, I just know that one day I'll probably get caught up in someone's dumbass web, and it'll suck. But I didn't do anything. I mean, I'd like to believe that I will like actually drop dead reading a headline when I'm like 95. I would love that. That's what I want. You know, that's what I want. Yeah. I want to see a headline that says like, "Hey, aliens were fake, but then they were real, and but they were." fake the whole time but here's why and you're gonna be like wow and you'll just die instantly i mean i do also live my life uh i live my life the kind of life where like if someone did like like if i did die of mysterious circumstances i know my friends would be like the government did it yeah <laughs> they will now that we've both had this conversation on a podcast yeah this will be well our, i mean this especially will be our irrefutable now, proof. but i think this was true for me even before this yeah. right we're like yeah I've, i mean i've said to my friends yeah, i'm I've like here friends. are the ways where these are like these deaths are realistic these ones not so right like mm -hmm. no you're not gonna catch me bungee jumping <laughs> you know like so if it's like some weird daredevil death i'm like mm -mm, yeah nope. if you if you if i'm outside the house doing too much then then something went wrong <laughs> that's right if there's rock climbing or parachutes or any kind of even equipment involved the government got me because i didn't do any of that shit <laughs> exactly. like exactly you know on that subject but if it's but if it's like felt you know like tripped and fell on their way to the freezer to get ice cream totally believable. totally believable yeah exactly totally like yeah no like these fucking italian ices i got going on at the moment man just forget it you I, know but, yeah uh, I, I was i was i i <laughs> slipped uh in a normal place to slip which is an unexpected place you're slipping on water you forgot where the ice cubes melted and that oh you slipped in a weird place, and that was it. That's what really happens in real life. So that no, happens. Believe no. that. No. <laughs> Anything else? No. no. Yeah. Slip no, in the shower? Impossible. Weird. I have a nice yeah, floor no. in there. I'm not slipping. So. Yeah, exactly. No, sometimes I even sit there and cry for 20 minutes. There's no gravity effect there. <laughs> let, me play this, let me play this clip, and, uh, and we can pick it up from there. It'll, it'll continue okay. on exactly what we're saying. Go for it. Three shots at five point six seconds. Yeah. I'm Oswald. Time me. Go. Oh. <laughs> Hold on. I just I swear to God I just realized that there was like <laughs> That's fun for everyone at home. I hope you enjoyed that <laughs> clip of Jeff Lorber playing in the background of this uh, clip of <laughs> Hit save on that. <laughs> Sorry. Let me just, uh, here we go, everyone. That never happened. That's in 5.6 seconds. Here. I'm Oswald. Time me. Go. Six, seven seconds. And that's without really aiming. Key is the second and third shots came almost right on top of each other. It takes a minimum 
2.3 seconds to recycle this thing. The other problem is there was a tree there, blocking the first two shots. By the time they found the Zapruder film. Didn't J. Edgar Hoover say something about that? Leaves are falling off in November. This is a Texas live oak, Chief. It sheds its leaves the first week of March. So you take this car, Carno, world's worst shoulder weapon, and you try to hit a moving target at 88 yards through heavy foliage? No way. FBI tried two sets of tests. Not one of their sharpshooters could match Oswald's performance. Not one. And Oswald was at best a medium shot. The scope was defective on it, too. I mean, this is the whole essence of the case to me. The guy couldn't do the shooting. Nobody could. And they sold this lemon to the American public. This brutal film was the proof that he didn't count on, Lou. Gotta get our hands on it. That means we have to subpoena timeline. Let me ask you something, Lou. Why not just shoot Kennedy coming up Houston? There's plenty of time. It's out in the open. I know, I keep asking myself the same thing. It's a funnel shot. Even if you miss him for the first shot, if it accelerates, you still got him for the second shot. No, the only reason for waiting to get him on Elm is you got him in a triangulated crossfire. You put a team there, down at the fence, for a frontal shot, flat, low trajectory, put a third team down here, in this building here, on a low floor. Kennedy gets the kill zone there. It's a turkey shoot. How many men? Okay. Not one shooter, at one spot on the radio, maybe three teams. I'd say these professional riflemen, too, Chief. They're serious people. Patient. Take skills to kill with the rifle, Chief. You gotta figure that's why there's been no execution of a chief executive with one in 200 years. So, <clears throat> I'm gonna play one more clip in a minute where President Snow will basically lay out everything uh that you've ever wondered about in a movie not from youtube but from the actual film itself <laughs> president snow who you may remember from the hunger games makes his appearance in this film uh donald sutherland and he he shows up in the middle of the film basically like hey if you've only been paying half attention i'm about to tell you everything more than you ever were asking for and on top of that i'm going to give you like an, an extra reason to keep watching the rest of the film and i believe a brilliantly edited thing to throw right in the middle and i don't know if they figured that out the, after the film was like constructed or something but either way perfect little middle piece to kind of get you in there it's like the intermission of the film basically where he like breaks it down recaps everything and then goes like and then also if you bother to keep looking you're wasting your time uh i love it really good um but on, on on that clip i mean basically uh they lay out in the film that mathematically physically otherwise the gunfire the gunplay in question as laid out in the official narrative is preposterous just <laughs> absurd it doesn't make sense in any sense of the word so at the very basic level you have to believe that there is a conspiracy even based on the facts as they exist <laughs> but um, and that's basically what the trial that later happens is all about, is the fact that there are, there are facts that don't line up, and that was probably what even allowed them to have a trial in the first place. Yeah. Um, Kathy, 
Do you have anything yes. further to say on the subject? Well, um, I do. I have quite a bit, right? Okay. So, uh, and part of this is because I was, uh, well, hmm, let me, uh, let me, so I've been thinking a lot about the law. Okay. And um, I've meant, uh, as, as it's no surprise to listeners of the show, I, I've spoken repeatedly about how I've quit law school and how I don't regret it. It was a good thing to do. And um, yeah. and I'll say that, like, especially in light of all of the news we've gotten in these last couple of weeks, like, I'm, like, especially glad I did it. Like, I feel, I, like, let, let me put it like this. Like, I feel that if I had actually finished, had passed the bar, had gotten to this point, and I'm hearing all this shit, like, I, like I'd be going full redacted Joker mode. Like, mm. no way, right? Like, uh, but I think part of it was, like, I never right like the 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 idea of american justice is itself a fiction yeah right like it like like we talk about like legal fictions in law school and and the reality was that they were all legal fictions everything is a legal fiction that that's the whole thing about the social contract is that it is a legal fiction that we tell ourselves right because at any point, anybody could go, no, fuck that. Might makes right, and I'm going to just do whatever the fuck I want and get away with it because you can't stop me. Yeah. Because I can go and murder someone in the middle of Times Square, and what's going to happen? Right. Nothing. Right. Because I can go and kill and assassinate an American president, and what's going to happen? Nothing. Right. Right? But yeah. conversely, though, right? Like, I can outlaw abortion. What's going to happen? Right? It'll it'll go black market. Right? It'll go underground. But I'm still not stopping them. Right. They will still happen. Right? Like, because the laws don't enjoin or stop anyone from doing anything. The only right. thing that stops us from doing anything is ourselves. This is all it is. Right? So the only thing that ever stops us from doing anything is ourselves. Um, yes. And, and so, like, that, I think, is, like, the real lesson of JFK, right? Like, it's not JFK, and it's not the mob, it's not this or that, the other. It's that all of this is a house of cards, right? Because that's also what we learn about the mob, too, right? Like, we exalt one leader this moment, but wink, nudge, those people aren't going to make it. Yeah. No one makes it. That's the lesson there, right? That at the end, if you're hanging out with people who think that there are no rules, then you're on the then you're on the menu too. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. And, and so there's there's no playing that game, yeah. right? Like it's a losing there's, there's game. Yeah. Biden, who's like, oh, these people have rules. There's honor. No, they don't. Like you're fucking stupid. And like if you don't see that, you're you're a mark. The, the, yeah. And they're gonna get you anyway, right? Because even if you play the game, they're playing a different game. Now you're playing the game. Yeah. Right. Like like now you have to fucking watch your back all the time, right? It's like the mm. same reason that like I can't sit at a restaurant without my back to a wall, right? <laughs> no. Um. For real. And the. Yeah, no, I mean, it's true, right? Like, so that, like, that reality, right? And, and I'm not saying that because I think I'm like some political person. I, I'm doing, yeah. I'm saying that because I'm just hyper aware. Right. Like, like I, I'm a woman by myself if I'm eating lunch, right? Like, or yeah. um, I can't walk to my car by myself at night, right? Like, so when I say that, like, I'm aware of my surroundings, I don't mean that just in like a, 
political or I'm active. Right. No, I mean, it just like as a human being walking through the world, you know, and uh, I feel like that naked, stark examination of reality, right? If they can get the president, they can get you. Yeah. No one wants to believe that because no one actually wants to believe that they got the president. That's that means I'm safe too. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that I think the biggest thing taking away, and we'll get to that in kind of the next clip in a sec when I pick up the microphone and move over to the living room. Um, the thing that, the thing that, yes, imagine this. Imagine that there are no sides and we live in a world which is everything is gray and sometimes certain people help others and that's kind of what the world really is because that's what it is. And let's say the president had ideas where he wanted to make the world change and other people in the world agreed with those kinds of ideas. And but other people didn't and certain people helped him on his way and certain people made sure that he ended up you know stopping in his path exactly where he did and it was there a giant conspiracy in absolutely in the way that there's a giant conspiracy to stop anyone from doing anything ever and the, all those things lined up to make sure not only that it happened i mean you have to understand that in the idea that there is a conspiracy there's not it's not mutually exclusive that the conspirators were not actually working together many people mm -hmm. had many different interests at the time and those interests could have very well overlapped in that they say oh okay i understand maybe there's something more at play maybe they didn't understand there's something more at play but they were happy to see much like observed even in the 60s in that bar in the very beginning of the film when the president is assassinated they show that people there are yelled at but still there are people there who don't care or were happy to see a president murdered in a way you know as such as and so let's even take something way with like way less stakes right so yes. i've been watching hotel hell with gordon ramsay yeah okay perfect um which is which is basically oh, i'm just taking a deep like... breath i'm just taking a deep breath thank god he brought us back to reality television for just a moment okay we're gonna bring yeah, it back. No, there, back right? Yeah, just for bringing a it back, right? But it's uh, the same thing. I'm inside the diving bell again. The thing, I'm back in ready? breathing yeah. air. Okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah. just just pretend I'm I'm saying this in a Gordon Ramsay voice. Okay. You know. I'm burning the risotto. You can say it. Yeah, right. Yeah. You fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even respect the food. I don't you know? I don't respect the rice. I'm I How I'm dare you disrespect this? community in this town they deserve better or whatever this country club could be three times the achievement it is today yeah. <laughs> how dare you <laughs> i love it when he's like how dare you anyway thank you story. for getting anyway, me so, thank you thank you thank you you're yes, welcome please so continue. gordon yes. ramsay is like the dictator of those things right like mm -hmm. but he comes in right like i say he's the dictator of those things he's not he's the problem solver right he's mm -hmm. trying to like you know find out why this hotel isn't working why this restaurant isn't working um and look at how people react to just little bits of power they get when they become general manager of the fucking hotel right yeah. like that's what these that's what these like stories tell us uh, it's uh, like so and so got hired as general manager and then they started ordering everyone around and now the hotel's in shambles right but it's because like they got just this like little tiny bit of power and then like everything goes to shit they start backstabbing each other right like one hotel will become fucking Shakespeare's Denmark or whatever. Exactly the 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 um the the hotel Cecil in Los Angeles is the or Cecil is the one that I'm thinking of. Great do Netflix documentary if you want to go look that up. See everything that's happened there. Wild. Um, one hotel. But like, manager. if people behave like that for like their this little tiny fiefdom of thirty rooms, 
or 24 top tables or whatever the fuck it is they're dealing with. Like, uh, like if, if it, it's true, right? Like they're the people that prove that power corru- corrupts absolutely. Even, right. Cause, cause all the they bar. are is in charge of like a staff of 10. Yeah. Right. They're not in charge of the entire free fucking world. They don't have like a nuclear football. They don't have like cer- secret service and a fucking jet at their beck and call. Like, so if some dipshit who's in charge of like a 20 employee team and like 30 rooms is like a fucking, you know, baby Hitler, well, why the fuck would I expect JFK to behave himself even if he's like, oh, no, I'm a gentleman from Boston or whatever. Like, fuck you. Fuck you. And fuck all of you. Right? Like, like, I'm trying to... I have so many thoughts. I'm just going to play this. Hold on. Let me grab the microphone. I'm going to go over taking a trip, everyone at home. Kathy, um, tell me if you can hear me after I move. Okay. I'm going to see if the audio goes through the microphone or if you're just hearing on the iPad. We'll find out in a second. Anyway, I love Gordon Ramsay. Yes. Gordon Ramsay for president. Here's the thing about Gordon Ramsay. He's great, folks. He has heart. I'll watch Just like John Taffer. John Taffer has heart. I'll, I'll watch more of his program. I'm sure I'll have some kind of complicated opinion, but I've watched I've watched a lot of the F word, which I loved. Two seasons of that. I love that. That was great. That's basically like the same as all those other shows, I think. Okay, I'm moving. Hold on. Okay. Microphone's long enough, yeah. Okay, this will work. Okay. This is the clip. Thank you. through the halls of the Pentagon. Sir, is it in there? The point is, the weapons need to be where the troops are. That's 
indeed. You are going to the South Pole. Oh, yeah? You are. Dr. Mooney's got all the details. I want you to check with him. Have yourself a nice vacation. I was sent by my superior officer to call him why. I was sent by General Y to the South Pole as a military escort for a group of international VIPs. I was on my way back in New Zealand when the president was killed. Osman was charged at 7 p.m. Palestine with Tippett's murder. That's 2 o'clock in the afternoon of the next day, New Zealand time. But already, their papers had the entire history of this unknown 24-year-old man, Oswald. Studio picture, detailed biographical data, Russian information, and were pretty sure of the fact that he killed the president alone, although it took them four more hours before they even charged him with that crime in Dallas. It's amazing cover story was being put out, like we would in a black op. Anyway, after I came back, I asked myself, why was I, the chief of special ops, selected to travel to the South Pole at that time to do a job that any number of others could have done? And I wondered if it could have been because one of my routine duties, if I had been in Washington, would have been to arrange for additional security in Texas, so I decided to check it out. Sure enough, I found out that someone had told the 112th Military Intelligence Group at 4th Army Headquarters at Fort Sam Houston to stand down that day over the protest of the unit commander, Colonel Wright. I believe it's a mistake. This is significant because it is standard operating procedure, especially in a known... I'm getting my pen out. ...to supplement the Secret Service. But even if we had not allowed the bubble top to be removed from the limousine, we would have placed at least 100 to 200 agents on the sidewalk without question. Nothing was left to chance. He could not be allowed to escape alive. 
Well, I never thought things were the same after that. Vietnam started for real. It was an era of, I don't know, make-believe in the Pentagon and CIA. Make, a, a land of make-believe. Since the beginning, knew the Warren Commission was fiction. But there was something... Living in the world of fiction. Something deeper, uglier. I know Alan Dulles very well. I briefed him many a time in his house. But for the life of me, I still can't figure out why he was appointed to investigate Kennedy's death, the man who had fired him. Dulles, by the way, was General Wyeth's benefactor. I got out in 64. Resigned my commission. I never realized Kennedy was so dangerous to the establishment. Was that Warren? Well, that's a real question, isn't it? Why? The how and the who is just scenery for the public. Oswald, Ruby, Cuba, the Mafia. Keeps them guessing like some kind of parlor game. Prevents them from asking the most important question, why? Why was Kennedy killed? Who benefited? Who has the power to cover it up? Who? Who indeed. And there you go. Um, thank you. Um, to the why, right? Right. Like... We don't even have a bullshit why, like trying to impress Jodie Foster. Right, which apparently Jodie Foster recently, didn't she come out and say that she was actually impressed at the time? She was embarrassed to admit it, which I think is interesting. Um, uh. I, hope he, I hope he tours in Santa Fe is all I can say. I hope he comes to fucking Meow Wolf or whatever. Like, oh, man. Um, anyway, yeah. that's it. So this, let, let me say this. I know that this is a filmic direct, this is the director speaking to the audience and this is a filmic composite character created to speak to Jim Garrison this way. I'm sure that he did speak to real people who said these words to him or probably way more than he ever revealed to the public. In his circumstance, there's no, there's no reason for the viewer to disbelieve anything that's being said. Why? Because we know at this point in the film already that there's a world that exists um, that most people don't have access to or don't know about that Jim Garrison is already living in, and he's realized that even as the attorney, excuse me, um, the district attorney in charge of the area around Dallas, he is uh, woefully unequipped and blind, has been up to this point blind to basically the world, the underworld, which is how would that even make any sense since he is supposedly in charge of eliminating that world's existence in that area. In New Orleans. Excuse me, New Orleans. Yes, yes. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, there's so much to unravel here. I really enjoyed the director's usage of creating like a fictional world and talking about that and later about the industrial, the global uh, military industrial complex, complex etc. It's reason, it's, re <laughs> it's reason for its continued... Uh, uh, it has to support itself to continue to exist and it needs to provide a purpose for its continued existence. And, you know, amongst the millions of reasons why you could slot in why this happened, the strongest one does seem to be that if the cloud of things that exists in that world has the money behind it that it does, there's no reason to disbelieve the fact that someone in that world wouldn't have the power the who, what, why, etc., to complete this as a goal. They said, I want this to happen. I know you guys like have the resources. Or even, 
a group of people said, this is like a project we should work on. C can we do this together? Or like even it could have just been, it could have just been one person who said like, hey, let's get together a group. I mean, there's so many options there. But the, but the thing at the top is the question mark of what does eliminating the president of the United States, this specific one from the world, what opportunities does that open up? And then you look at, that's what matters to me, to everyone, that's what should matter. Okay, so, okay, so, yes, I've been watching Hotel Hell with Gordon Ramsay. Mm -hmm. Yes, I watched the Baz Luhrmann biopic, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. the, uh, of Elvis, which, again, I mentioned very briefly on Twitter, was a fucking delight. I loved it. Anybody who talks shit about it, I'm going to just dismiss them entirely. Okay. That just tells me that they take themselves way too seriously. Also, it's the best Baz Luhrmann film I've seen. Okay. Um, and, and it, you know, maybe that's not that, you know, if, if you're like a Baz Luhrmann hater, maybe that doesn't sound like, like, that's not saying much. But, like, if you like him, that's like saying something. There's a big anyway. Baz Luhrmann fan in this house. I know that. So, um, so I anyway, I, mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. I was delighted. Um I also enjoyed, as an aside, real quick tangent, mm -hmm. the parallels that I think Baz Luhrmann was trying to make between Elvis's exploitation and Britney Spears's exploitation. Interesting. I feel like that, like the language, the terminology, I felt like there were like dog whistle terms, if I can kind of put it that way, that were like huh. trying to hearken back to that. And I felt like as a savvy person in the audience, I was like, dude, Baz Luhrmann's trying to, like I even turned to my, my person and I was like, I think he's talking about Britney and not Elvis. Oh. But in the same way, right? Because like we only now understand that Elvis was also being exploited by like uh, what's his name, Colonel Dan or Colonel whatever the fuck his name was, right? Um, anyway, no, I'm gonna watch this now. I'm gonna watch. Well, we can for sure. Totally worth it. I also really loved all of the um, like the Elvis remixes that felt Ooh. to be really early 2000s because okay, uh, I don't think that they really got permission. I, I don't know, but I don't think that they got permission to use a bunch of the Elvis music. So there's like remixes, like cover versions, and things like that. I know um, the estate is very like tight with what they tight, yeah. But again, I loved it. Um, if people are going in thinking it's going to be like a serious Elvis okay. biography, again, cool. not, then they don't know what Baz Luhrmann's doing, right? Yeah, so, right. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, the other thing that I've been kind of knee deep in, as, as people know, is I also work in a day-to-day -day on kind of local government and local politics and local considerations of, you know, kind of people in our community. And uh, yeah. uh, there's been a lot of like, just real shit going on. There's a lot of discussion about like um, our unhoused populations and what to do with them. Uh, um, yeah. If I can, you know, again, Please. not not the language I'm exactly using, right? But like the, these are the language, this is the language I'm hearing when I go to these city council meetings and like city planning commission and like the, like county commission meetings. Like I, I, I watch and attend a lot of uh, government meetings um i'm not always present like sometimes i'm literally just listening to it like on a live stream or here in new mexico a lot of these things are also broadcast over the radio which i also like mm. to do if i'm like sitting outside let's say 
Um, yeah, K Suave is and KUNM will sometimes mm -hmm. broadcast like legislative meetings. There's a couple of other oh. local ones that do this. Um, same thing, kind of the more key ones, right? Yeah. But um, I've been learning and getting more of those because I, I do prefer to sit outside, especially when the weather is nice, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not snowing and yeah. freezing at the moment. So if I can sit outside and listen, then I will. Um, anyway, so I've been attending a lot of government meetings for my own edification. Yeah. Wink, wink. I mean, I have strategy and purpose, but... Um, always. Always. Um, but the reason i'm saying that right is because i've also made a lot of jokes both on my timeline and here on the cast about how it feels like an episode of parks and rec or it feels like an episode of like veep and those things aren't false it does feel that way right but it's not because city council feels like veep it's because veep feels like city council too right and it's because our city councilors are just like any city councilor this isn't unique to ours right it's just any person in these government positions is putting on an act they've got a face a public face that they put on and they come on you know good evening uh fireside chat bullshit whenever they you know uh, my fellow americans yeah, friends wanna... romans and countrymen <laughs> lend wanna... me your ears right like exactly. they meet like how can you not right like what we also know, right, is that the kind of orator style that has come into fashion has changed, right? It used yeah. to be friends, Romans, and countrymen. It used to be my fellow Americans. But now it's, listen to this fucking dipshit on Tucker Carlson, right? Yeah. Like, um, so um, it has been a very... Uh, I'll say devastating time. And mm -hmm. I say devastating because um everything that i learned in my constitutional law class three years ago has literally just been overturned not just abortion but concealed carry the miranda rights environmental protection agency i mean i make this joke that um and have been for the last several years that we have you know richard nixon to thank for the environmental protection agency which is true he founded it it was under his administration nixon gave us the epa right yeah. so if you now have a conservative base that is undoing nixon's epa then yeah. we have no fucking hope for al gore's epa right, yeah, right. so um yeah so so whenever i am in despair whenever i as an organizer as an activist someone who has dedicated my entire fucking life to this whenever i am in these moments of despair mm -hmm. there is only one book that i ever turn to this is my bible yes um, it's kathy this is uh paulo freire's pedagogy of the oppressed okay okay look at this cover this is uh i'm gonna hold it up to the camera for you darling because uh okay. hold on let me turn that off oh, it's because, invisible uh, for the viewers yeah, at no, home the it, book has magically become invisible so we're not doing a bit it is invisible because i yeah no it's because i'm using my blur filter but i won't be right now that i'm here okay. with my friend see the book. i just had it yeah so you can see it's a pencil oh, that yeah. is um, carved to look like a gun, okay. which of course just tickles me. Is but, this um, like one of those books? Is this available like online for me to find? Or oh yeah, yeah, you can Google this. There's PDF versions of this. I myself, I, 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 I need. I myself need a tangible yeah, book. Yeah, I'll need one it's just, too. It's hard I'll, for me. I, I mark up. Yeah, but you can print it. It's short. It's it's quite short. It's uh it's like 150 pages. So it's not like one of these ones where you could probably even print it out as a booklet on like you know the, the Gutenberg project or somewhere, right? One of these variety of things. 
Paulo Freire is a Brazilian educator, philosopher, theorist, kind of a guy. Um, I first read him when I was uh, becoming a teacher. Okay. Um, but this is a book that I return to ever, like all the time. Like, like this is one of the, this is what I go to when I'm feeling like this, when okay. I feel like, like the world's falling apart. I can't do anything about okay. it. And the reason I do, and this is, I didn't even realize this until I started rereading the chapter, uh, the preface in chapter one. It's because he talks about how the activist must confront reality. Mm. That's our number one okay. job. We're taking on, so we're taking on the first thing. Yeah, that's right. So I want to read um, some of the like key paragraphs um, because I've been very upset. <laughs> yes. But um, in the midst of this, right? Like it's because it is about uh, it, this is what you and I are doing. We're unpacking reality and trying to make sense of it, like yeah. in all of its ways. Every so, way, yeah, exactly, one hundred percent. Um, preface. I'm going to read like a paragraph from the preface and then a couple of key sections from chapter one. I love It'll this. be really short. I love it's, this. It's, this is like the, our first real reading. I love this. This is. Yeah. Awesome. I'm excited because I love, I love reading. So mm -hmm. I may even have to stand because I'm, I'm very good. Please. Like I said, I do a lot of orating. Oh, we're going to do that. Then, then I'm going to read yeah. something uh, next time then. I'll get up okay. So. okay, please. All right. I love you. Preface. These pages, which introduce pedagogy of the oppressed, result from my observations during six years of political exile, observations which have enriched those previously afforded by my educational activities in Brazil. I have encountered, both in training courses which analyze the role of consciousness, that's a, a Brazilian term that he's using here, which means consciousness here the learning to perceive social, political, and economic contradictions. This is this is like consciousness of like a like a re like of what political social reality is. I'm taking notes. <laughs> Please. I have encountered both in training courses which analyze the role of consciousness and in actual experimentation with a truly liberating education, the fear of freedom discussed in the first chapter of this book. Not infrequently, training course participants call attention to the danger of consciousness in a way that reveals their own fear of freedom. Critical yeah. consciousness, they say, is anarchic. Others add that critical consciousness may lead to disorder. Some, however, confess, <laughs> why deny it? I am afraid of freedom. Yeah. I am no longer afraid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So he goes on a little bit more about the preface. He defines a little bit of these terms some more. And then he says, this volume will probably arouse negative reactions in a number of readers. Some will regard my position vis-a-vis -vis the problem of human liberation as purely idealistic, or may even consider discussion of ontological vocation, love, dialogue, hope, humility, and sympathy as so much reactionary blah. Yeah. Others will not, or will not wish to, accept my denunciation of a state of oppression that gratifies the oppressors. Accordingly, this admittedly tentative work is for radicals. I am certain that Christians and Marxists, though they may disagree with me in part or in whole, will continue reading to the end. 
but the reader who dogmatically assumes closed, irrational positions will reject the dialogue I hope this book will open. Sectarianism, fed by fanaticism, is always castrating. Radicalization, nourished by a critical spirit, is always creative. Sectarianism mythicizes and thereby alienates. Radicalization criticizes, <laughs> radicalization criticizes and thereby liberates. Radicalization involves increased commitment to the position one has chosen, and thus ever greater engagement in the effort to transform concrete objective reality. Yes. Conversely, sectarianism, because it is mythicizing and irrational, right. turns reality into a false and therefore unchangeable reality, in quotes. The yes. radical... Yes, yes, yes. Let's skip ahead a little bit more. The radical committed to human liberation does not become the prisoner of a circle of certainty within which reality is also imprisoned. Mm -hmm. On the contrary, the more radical the person is, the more fully he or she enters into reality so that knowing it better, he or she can better transform it. Mm -hmm. This individual is not afraid to confront to listen, to see the world unveiled. This person is not afraid to meet the people or to enter into dialogue with them. This person does not consider himself or herself the proprietor of history or of all people right. or the liberator of the oppressed, mm -hmm. but he or she does commit himself or herself within history to fight at their side. The pedagogy of the yeah. oppressed, the introductory outlines of which are presented in the following pages, is a task for radicals. It cannot be carried out by sectarians. Yeah. And then. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm pondering. Which I'm, no, if pondering. There's any, if there's pondering. Any, okay. So, yeah. No, there's, there's a couple more paragraphs. Please, please. So, then in chapter one. Uh, Paulo Freire starts talking about the problem of humanization and how it is up to the oppressed to humanize themselves, but in that process must also rehumanize the oppressor because the oppressor in dehumanizing is incapable of being human themselves, right? So chapter one starts to talk about this and as a stark reality that must be faced by anyone who is committing themselves to this work. The oppressor is solidary with the oppressed only when he stops regarding the oppressed as an abstract category and sees them as persons who have been unjustly dealt with, deprived of their voice and cheated in the sale of their labor. When he stops making pious, sentimental and individualistic gestures and risks an act of love. Mm -hmm. True solidarity is found only in the plenitude of this act of love in its existentiality, in its praxis. Yes. To affirm that men and women are persons and as persons should be free, and yet to do nothing tangible to make this affirmation a yes. reality is a farce. You have to live your philosophy, I believe, right? Oh, yes. I mean, more than that, but I mean, that's, that's in that moment. Yeah, I wrote down a lot of things, a lot of thoughts about that. I would say this. Uh, my immediate thoughts are that um, 
that the my most important takeaway from that is that no one owns any ideological movement and also no one can define the movement also the movement doesn't exist it's a group of people with shared interests and desires on top of that the most successful movement wouldn't actually have a leader it would be a consensus opinion on top of that radicalization itself is just a word to be understood and on top of that if you don't understand the word radicalization that'll probably sound kind of scary but um the ultimate thing to remember is that um let's take radicalization back to the very definition where we're talking like a uh, like a radical back to the the atom even um we're, we're talking about we're talking about outliers. We're basically talking about Malcolm Gladwell's stupid bullshit with his 10,000 hours and all that shit. We're talking mm-hmm. about we're talking about people that have certain experiences, certain skill sets who have done certain things and through X, Y, Z thing have ended up at a conclusion where I'm a critical thinker now. And it doesn't mean anything. They don't have an opinion. They're not labeled. They're not painted anything. They just now have a brain where they understand the world for what it is in that there are multiple levels to the world and not everyone is always accessing them or knowing that they exist or whatever. But we all still live in the same physical reality where all these things are happening and just that some people know that they're happening some people don't sometimes that means they live a better life because they don't know what's happening sometimes people live a better life because they know that things are happening but it all depends on the person and those things exist regardless of whether you want to accept it or not and i would say that with that in mind the fact that no one owns the movement means that you don't have to look up to anyone to say anything you don't have to look for permission and you don't have to know you don't know thyself is the only thing you need to know there you go it's the only thing you need to know it continues to be this isn't about what my neighbor is doing yes what am i doing don't worry about like yes don't worry about another podcast falling apart the world is absolutely falling apart right but i still have choices here and i still get to wake up every single morning I, i do anyway and go knock on my fucking neighbor's door and say hey i think i have a way to solve this it sounds crazy but if you want come along and join me yeah right and lots of people do think we're crazy when i go around knocking on doors and saying i think i have a way to solve this yes you're suffering i'm suffering we're all suffering look around right but i'm like i think we can do it and it sounds crazy right like this is also the um the contradiction i think of being like a radical activist right it's the hope that other people call hope that sounds like it's like unreachable untenable to me it feels like right there like i like yeah like any of these like revolutionary ideas of like freedom autonomy like 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 pretty I don't simple give a, ideas like, these aren't the political other thing concepts. i don't give a fuck what the supreme court says right. they are not gonna stop me from living my ethics right or, and like my ethics say yeah. i'm gonna take care of my neighbors my people my friends my loved ones like and also the people i don't fucking know because that's also what i get up and do every day there you go and if you think that i or kathy sit in front of a microphone and do all this shit and honestly put our worlds at risk by even becoming public people with critical minds regardless of any kind of other approach to it um you're you're fooling yourselves anyone the reason that everyone Having a voice in today's world is dangerous. It doesn't. Even, we're not even talking about dangerous concepts, but the, the, the very fact that at some point, 10, 15 years from now, something that we said here can come back to reflect on us 
and probably will at some point due to, based on the way that the world is moving. And let's say that's like a, a pessimistic point of view that I just happen to hold right now because I just watched a movie about a, a mm-hmm. major conspiracy theory. Regardless of whether that, that is true or not, we live in a world where uh, having a voice, not even, not even getting into the fucking constitution, which is absolute mm-hmm. horseshit. The, the words on that mean absolutely nothing anyway. Like, well, like in terms of protecting ever, them. If I ever ran for office, yeah, right? Because yeah, yeah. this, is, this is not like outside of the realm of possibility anybody who knows me personally yeah. knows this has come up a million times i'd be the first one to sign the petition when are, yeah when are you gonna run right okay let's pretend i entered any race tomorrow mm-hmm. right i have a I, i've been online since i was 25 since i was like 15 years old yeah i have i have 25 years of posts worth finding i have nudes out there i have boyfriends who have taken nudes i have videos right because we've all done stupid things when we're 23 when we were 32 mm-hmm. last week yep. right doesn't matter doesn't matter uh at any point in time right and that's also the thing right this isn't also about being careful or doing the right or the wrong thing uh Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee taught us it could be one copy for your own private use and someone is still going to fucking get their hands on it somehow. And if you're right? afraid of anything that happened in this context, think not you, the listener, the conceptual version of the person listening to us. If you're afraid of anything like that, just think about the last presidents. Think about even our current president and the rumors regarding or the anything happening regarding his son take the political aspect out of it look at any of those things and any mm-hmm. if even if 10 percent of it is real look at that yep. the man's still president our president is still president like even look though, at the, like, without even talking about the, the photo, previous one. yeah even though i know that the photos i have out there are hotter than melania's oh. it won't matter yeah thank you because she wasn't the one running for president Mm-hmm. I would be, right? Like in yeah. this hypothetical, right? I'm the one running for mm-hmm. office. Mm-hmm. If my husband had the nudes, I don't think they'd give a shit, right. right? Right. But if it were me, that's different, right? Like that, there's there, that's not going to happen. They're not going to let that happen. I mean, and then once they're like, "Oh wait, you're wait, you you do all this shit and you you know, you wear a gamer headset and D&Ds for satanists and Right, shit that's like incredibly wholesome. They're gonna be like, you know, oh, she was a wizard online. Things that make you relatable, ironically, are the things that would unravel the. the I mean, I don't know if I'm as cool as that Fetterman motherfucker, right? Have you seen that guy? The guy, the the John Fetterman guy in like Pennsylvania. He's like twelve feet tall. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks like like uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. He looks like my goth. Yeah, Yeah. he looks like my goth ex boyfriend or whatever. You (laughs) know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Am I that cool? I don't know. Maybe. I don't even know I if you need maybe. to be that cool. I don't think you need to be that good. If any, if the previous president taught us anything, you don't really need to be anything in particular. You just need to be the right man, the right place, with the right friends, and the right amount of money doesn't even matter because the right money can be staked. That's right. They can. The money can be staked for you, just like in gambling. That's right. So, and That's he right. he put his own money out there just because he didn't have confidence in people staking him at the beginning. But obviously, as soon as he got the ball rolling, he didn't need to do that anymore. Anyone can do that, though. You just have to have the right attention, the right time, the right everything. And I would... Anyway, all this as a way of yes. saying, um... VH1, if VH1 can do two things. One, they could give us a show, a yes. whole series of shows, mm-hmm. or VH1, I'm going to say this right now, fund my political campaign. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exclusive access. Um, I will get, like... 
you know, fucking Joel McHale to be my uh, chief of staff. He'll be my like spokesperson. I guarantee Done. it'll go wild on the internet. I'm I'm doing it right now. Uh, uh, e, I'm putting it out there. Please, again, one more time. We have a lot of really great ideas. I think we can really uh, we could really bring reality television into the post reality world that we live in. And, and, and if you know, okay, let me, let me say this, let me, the, uh, VH1 and, and MTV are controlled by the same company, same company, uh, uh, CBS Viacom or Viacom CBS or whatever they call themselves now. Hello. I'm addressing you, the person who probably controls both those channels. Maybe this makes it to you one day. Hello. Kathy and I are working on a product, a project and a product that is very interesting. Um, we have been working for a long time now, studying all these things and learning so much in so very little time. And if we had a team of even five people, there's no limit to what we could do in terms of production. And not only could we create an entire online channel of content, I guarantee that with a team of just even 15 or 20 people, you could have an entire like series of verticals based around reality television using it as a vocabulary to speak to the audience what audience i don't know you can research and figure out what audience you want to choose but um we can speak to them and if you like what we're having to say or not it doesn't matter you can put us under a little glass box and then view it from the outside you can bring cameras to both our houses to follow us around a reality care. show about santa fe teens a la the hills a, a reality show think about this remember um hello you remember the kanye documentary the kanye documentary where he was um uh, being you know followed how close we, yeah. You know how guy? close we are to truth or consequences and the fucking <laughs> exactly. spaceport. We can yeah. have Kanye on a fucking rocket with Richard Branson in an instant. I guarantee you this. this. Get me that platform, and I will talk to Kanye. And me and him, I guarantee you, there's no way that I can't talk to him, and then he'll talk to me, and that it'll actually work. I guarantee it. And the only reason I say that, it sounds like a wild claim, and it sounds like an outrageous claim. The only reason I say that is because. I'm pretty sure I understand his entire deal, and I don't think anyone else really understands his entire deal exactly. I know it enough that I could approach him. I can guarantee you that, and I bet you, you, this person at VH1 or MTV, maybe you had difficulty doing that, because it just seems like he hasn't been on anything in a long time. So I don't know, but he'd join any kind of political movement, you know that, as long as we explain it to him in the right way. And I'm not saying that it's to discredit him at all. I'm just saying that he, on his own very own documentary, said that he doesn't think about things in a political way. He's obsessed with his own music and his creative endeavors. And that's why he dropped his election try as well, because he didn't understand what he's doing in his own words. So embrace the change, embrace progressivity, embrace the different, and um, think about our opportunity to the world. I will say this. If you can watch Kevin Costner playing Jim Garrison at the end of JFK, making his plea to the world on the very last stage and then looking directly into the camera before they play a card that basically says you the person one day and they're saying this in 1991 will make it to 20 if you make it to 2038 wow what a treasure trove of information you're going to uncover and i say to you don't live in that world because that world's never going to happen 2038 is going to come and go and none of that information is going to come out don't live for 2038 live for tomorrow in the world that you can create when you go out there and uncover the information and spread it to the world and what does that mean i don't know it means whatever you mean think it means but you need to be doing that in your world if you are listening to the program and find the disgusting part of what we talk about disgusting which you must because i don't know how you could enjoy the good parts without thinking the disgusting parts are disgusting it takes that i think it takes both to understand both so that's what i have to say don't watch a man get Jota ground into dust for no reason that's what i have to say jodorowsky voice pull back camera <laughs> 
Um, you know that. Um, have you seen that movie? Have you seen The Holy Mountain by Jodorowsky? No, because okay, well then, okay, well, just yeah, no, go just that that one's happening this weekend at some point. Um, one more if you time, have any, the title, The uh, Holy Mountain. The Holy Mountain by Alejandro Jodorowsky did the Dune documentary. Is it on? It's like a Criterion one. special? Yeah, it's one yeah, of those. I, I, but I, I think it's like, yeah, it's okay. one of those. I'll You'll get, find it. I'll It'll be it fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, cool. So we've been talking about things. That's definitely one I'm going to hit. Is there anything you thought of while I was rambling on, Kathy? <laughs> before i move on to something um else. wait hold on let me let me check my notes here because i, I, I have you have a surprise topic for us and i have and as much time honestly... i did no the only other no, thing I, I was do. just that hotel oh okay no the only i, I think that's pretty much it like, i mean i covered you know, again i've been weeping about the death of nixon zpa i'm mm-hmm. a big nixon fan myself that's something <laughs> that um maybe you can share a little more information with me off the podcast so i can digest and understand that like a real thing like oh. i just uh yeah i mean i i say that i'm a nixon fan but i'm a nixon fan in the sense that uh i feel like that was uh not all men are evil and not you know not no man is all was, evil and no man is all good so um it was more about like clock is trying <laughs> so this is what they gave us after jfk huh uh-huh like oh, to me it was like this is really it this is done this is the end like yes uh, for me that like nixon was to me the true death of the american empire not not jfk's assassination i thought jfk's assassination was like an opportunity for a possible rebirth like like we would be like a phoenix that rose fr- from the ashes yeah but no when they gave nix they gave us like nixon after that i mean yeah lbj and shit yes yes right yes of course because you know uh succession and all that shit mm-hmm. but like really after that was nixon right so that to me was like no we're not coming back from this there is there is no American Camelot to no. go back to. No, right? like, it was gone like in 1963. Was, yeah. yeah. But to me, it wasn't really like there was still like a chance. Could we do it? You and Are I, we going to come up from behind? About, and the answer was no. Nixon told us the answer was no. N-O period exclamation point. The end. Done. Anything since then? Yeah. A farce. And An the, absolute farce. Yes. And the secret world proved to us in 1963 that they were real and everything whatever it is it happened those things played out the secret world took their victim and uh we're now living in it permanently and we live inside of it and we're just starting to even like we're not even at the part where we realize like you know we're not at the center of the universe we're still at the part where like looking at the sun and being like is that that's the sun is the center we're kind of like floating around it i don't really get it well to, to, (laughs) to connect it to paulo freire right it's because the president is a figurehead. They are the symbol of power, but they are not the actual power. Mm-hmm. And that is how the American public has been duped. I, that, that to me is like, everyone's like the, like the emperor's wearing no clothes. I'm like, no, this is still Oz. This is still the fucking wonderful Wizard of Oz. And there's n- you can be like no. Donald Trump isn't wearing any clothes and we can talk about Donald Trump. Doesn't matter. He's still yeah. not the person in charge that is not where power lies there's like fundamental like you, you we can be dazzled by him still a distraction we can be fucking distracted by his clownish antics hilarious in fact again most hilarious of the presidents we've ever had still not the 
source and the fount of power. He is a yeah. fucking he's a clown there to distract us and we're all just falling for it all the time yeah right like like the real power is that like galane gets 20 years r kelly gets 30. yeah the real the the real demonstration of power is if you go in the secret this i'll tell you this the biggest demonstration of power in the secret world right now is the merger of the big three-letter talent agencies in los angeles that is the biggest merger of power in the world right now. And the fact that nobody is covering it like they would cover the Jeffrey Epstein thing. I mean, they're literally taking it to court to see or if it's impossible to do. Or Enron. Right. Or fucking Virgin Galactic and like, SpaceX and shit. If you know anything about how live events work or production or how talent is actually used in Hollywood or the power that they actually wield, which is next to zero, the what talent actually is, is like... Talent is literally, in almost every case, and even in film, and I'm sorry to say this to you film fans, but usually when an actor is showing up in anything, it's because they want the audience that they have been attached to in the past. They don't really give a shit about their acting ability or talents or skills because truly anyone at the professional level should be able to provide anything that a director would actually ask for. So <laughs> imagine all the people who work in Hollywood is also um, administrators of influence in every level or even if they don't know it they're middle managers of influence and it, they're not in a concerted way where they're all working on one side or all to one goal or to any other kind of thing but the talent agencies are actually the ones who control the talent and that if you look up and do any kind of research you'll find very quickly that the talent agencies are the ones who control all the music festivals you go to they're the ones who control what artists show up at what comedy festival or film the, what films show up at what film festival which determines the success and, and failure of many films especially on the low end uh, representation that people get in Hollywood, how far someone can make it. All these things are controlled by talent agencies and all these things are mediated, like how many pop stars can be on a certain talent agency within the three, now almost two talent agencies that exist. All those things are controlled. So even let's say you're the best pop star who's ever existed, you don't come along, along at the right time, nothing happens to you, but that extends down to everything from the extra trying to make it in Hollywood. And if everyone's fate is really controlled by just a couple agencies, then what's really the difference between the, the saying, you know, if they can do that in Hollywood, why can't they do that anywhere else? Hollywood has to be the easiest place to control power. I mean, there's no really resultant thing ultimately than uh, the, the culture war going back and forth. But that doesn't really mean anything to anyone. As long as one side is fighting and it's distracting, it's, it's enough. Um, yeah. So... If we can ignore power structures, and so that's why we, and that's why we need to watch Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Yes. Yes. Anyway, um, go look up those articles on your own. Thank you, Kathy, for saving me from myself. But go look up those Bless on your you. own. And uh, I would also say this: go spend your time looking at, uh, go, go, uh, go, go investigate the new world of darkness. Go look at those books. Go look up Vampire the Masquerade and all those things, and look up how in the '80s when they were looking at all these things, fiction for nerds was already combined into a way where we were already accepting at the time in the 80s our group of people i wasn't there but our group of people were accepting the fact that billionaires already ran the world and that even the world that existed in power in the power structure were vampires literal or metaphorical otherwise like basically 200 people were running the world that is the fiction of vampire um, the masquerade and they're all literal vampires we're going i'm gonna have to go find i'm gonna go order online all of the, maybe not all of them, maybe one of the classic David Icky conspiracy lizard people conspiracy books. Are you familiar with this guy? Uh, no. Okay. 
David Icke, mm. uh, I C K E. Okay. Uh, late, not like '90s, late '90s conspiracy theorist guy, New World Order capitalist, corporate powers, but with weird right wing bents, and eventually he's like, no, it's because they're all like weird lizard people from the planet Mongo or whatever. I don't know. He's you know he starts making shit up like that. Um, he got quite a following. I would describe him as like proto Q bullshit. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to find a book. I'll see if I can find one. I watched and... Q into the storm. Speaking on the topic, I watched Q into the storm, the six part HBO series, which I knew a little bit about mentioned something awful. Well, I want to like get into that in its own thing. Cause we're already. Okay. I haven't seen it and I wanted to. So I'll, uh, I'll go start watching the HBO shit. Definitely okay. worth it. Uh, just watched around here. That was a huge thing. Definitely. Episode six is the one that kind of like pulls it all together, but You'll see everything, and when you see the word something awful mentioned on there, I have, uh, I'm talking to someone, the person I recently did a investigation with, um, who I think I actually know who they are, which is kind of funny, but, well, I know who they are, a little bit extra layer, well, doesn't matter, they'll listen to this podcast, they'll, they already know, we're already talking about things, it's fine. Um, just go listen to that podcast, and then prepare yourself for a future podcast where I talk to people about stuff. And then also as a reminder, I watched that. I don't think we talked about it last time, but I watched that Slender Man documentary and was that's also on HBO. And I was yeah. like, I wonder if they're going to mention something awful. Anyway, I tweeted about what it we're saying to you at this point is that we have converted our entire media digest into food that would fuel this show. And it's not even like in a way where it's like there's there's a million, million things to watch out there. But the veil flipping thing. Oh, I watched The Giver. It's about a veil flipping. Uh, I watched. Um, that was great. I really highly suggest going watching Jeff Bridges uh, have some fun in The Giver from 2014. Um, uh, excellent film. Uh, uh, just um, <laughs> the more and more you go watch the veil lifting reality changing through the lens of fiction and the, the way, different ways that people have constructed the metaphor for being like, oh, it's color now. Pleasantville is something mm -hmm. I want to watch soon again. Uh, Truman Show is a good example of that. All these these films of like, oh, the real, the, the real world is now like, you realize that it comes all back to what you've been saying three or four times now in the show, where the limitations of our fictional interpretations of what could exist out in the world is very, very tame. Everything in sci-fi and fantasy, like you said, even the more I think about it, is so constricted by what we can actually dream up, which is mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, a, a conspiracy where we're like writing down notes about like what you're saying exactly. Like that means that like the average person doesn't know about black ops and secret ops and all these things. So they can never imagine like a situation in which the context of something like even presented in this film before they watch it is even like a possibility because somehow it's still more plausible to think that it's aliens and not experimental aircraft or a weather station yes absolutely like 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 let's be real like like which one could it really fucking possibly be and again right like i like i want to believe but I have no one at any time. We have not yet had one of these the day the earth stood still moments that if like it, if if there were actually intelligent life, I know for a fact they would be coming down here and going, y'all are fucking this up all too bad. Yeah. 
and we're about to like fucking clear you guys out to put an intergalactic fucking spaceway here. Not to mention like, the extensive evidence have, yeah, like, of the military funding sci-fi in the 40, 30s, 40s, and 50s, essentially right. expanding the fiction of magical flying vehicles, whatever they want to write about them. But the idea is that the cover was established. And there's paperwork to prove that. Literal, I mean, it's not even like hidden stuff. At this point, that's out there. That was out there in the 80s. So uh, just people didn't believe it necessarily. But now more evidence is coming. Yeah. I, I, don't know. I mean, again, and to this day, right? I mean, none of that shit goes beyond some weird fucking Reddit thread. Yeah, because it's silly. If this would, yeah, because it's silly. It's silly. still not there, right? Yeah. Like, anyway, yes. we'll get there. So I, have... uh, I, I want to believe. I hope they take me away. Yes, I agree. I think I'd about like to that. be somewhere far, far away where there is only the fucking Brandenburg concertos and we are yeah. once again naked and I want Mulder surrounded by wanna, like stars. I want to wake up next to Mulder on an operating table. If that's the that's the dream ending of all of this, and that's why we'll never get it. That's why we'll never get it. So don't worry about mm -hmm. dreaming about someone coming and saving you. Don't worry about don't don't bother taking someone else's word for anything. Just go and do things on your own and that's the only way that you'll never be led astray is if you're leading yourself or at least in a conceptual and don't way just and yeah and never if, if you feel despair you're done so just stop put it all down log out and fucking go grow some corn or something yeah. plant some fucking sunflowers like just get a goldfish literally anything that reminds you that life is worth living because that's all it is right like and we're like none of this shit's gonna get us down exactly. it's not, like I, i'm not gonna let it right like i mean i i will i will i'm tenacious and uh, you can we're always... gonna have to kicking screaming the whole deal oh it's gonna be do great not go gentle we're yeah. gonna do a very good job listener at home you know there used to be a, a podcast called chapo trap house which used to represent certain views and ideas and uh, it was led astray pretty much at the very beginning. But I listened to it for a very long time. I still listen to it. And the reason I bring it up is very specific. It's to say that... Can you spell it? Uh, I don't remember. The, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, I, uh, listening to things in your sphere is very important. Knowing things in your sphere is very important. Drinking the poison and reading the news and doing whatever it is you have to do, you have to... Consider what other people are digesting and consider what other people are looking at and know your audience. The number one thing of sending a message to anyone is knowing who you're talking to and not even talking like what kind of person, but the, the audience and how they're going to receive it and know it. And uh, nothing I can say can make you stop listening to Chapo and that's fine. And I'm going to keep listening to it too. But remember, not everyone out there, no one out there is on your side because there's no sides. That's all you have to remember. That's where, that's where I'm going to stop. But I'm going to say this. If the world gets too confusing for you, you can always do what we do and, uh, and listen, watch some, watch reality, some TV, reality TV, which is about what I'm to bring to you at this moment. There's something I was watching the last week. I wrapped up Survivor Season 3, and I'm going to bring that to you right now. Let's all just take a deep breath. <sighs> we talked about all the deep and heavy stuff. We had our therapy moment. We really... <sighs> but now... Now we have to get back to the basics. Exactly. And, oh, it feels so good. Kathy, I'm so happy that we got to get that out of our systems. I said, like, 75% of what I wanted to, and God damn it, that was, that was enough. They were abandoned in the heart of wild Africa and forced to work together to build a new world while competing against each other for the title of sole survivor and $1 million. Survivor's ready. 
great. Go! As two separate tribes, Samburu and Baran, they faced extreme challenges. Get that down, get that down. They battled each other. For her. And they confronted the dangers of an exotic land. As alliances hit a fevered pitch, we're gonna take it all the way. Trust me. A new twist to the game sent them reeling. Silas, Teresa, Frank, you guys are now members of Baron. Kelly, Lex, Tom, you guys are now members of Samburu. Smokes. Since that time, emotions have run high. Well, then which one do you want to take? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Well, let's decide, damn it. Some friendships held. I didn't vote for a friend of mine, and that makes me the happiest person on the face of the earth. While others crumbled. I set up by somebody who I thought was my friend. After the merge, on day 20, tempers flared when Lex received a mystery vote at tribal council. I will not live with a snake. I'm sorry. Someone voted against you, Mr. Ego. Deal with it. My gut tells me that you stabbed me in the back and you're playing both sides. Good riddance. Go! But through it all, they have continued to play the game. They have experienced the culture in unforgettable ways. It was a day I will never, ever forget. This just shows me that there's more to life than just what's around the corner at the house. Last week, Lex won immunity. And before tribal council, Teresa was desperate. I know that I'm going to be the next one to go unless I can think of something real quick. To save herself, she played her final card. She confessed to Lex that she was the one who cast the vote that sent him on his witch hunt. She said, you know, when you got that one mystery vote, who at the time I thought might be Kelly, I was the one that cast that vote for you. But in her confession, Teresa also implicated Tom in hopes of getting him voted out. When I came out from this trap, a little birdie whispered something in my ear. Did Tom tell you not to trust me? Teresa's plan to get Tom ousted didn't work. At Tribal Council, the ex-Baron members remained true to each other, and Teresa was the 12th person voted out of the tribe. They look at those political machinations backfire. Tonight, they will compete in their final challenges. It was very exciting Two to watch. continue on to face the jury. One will outlast all the rest and become the sole survivor. So... I just want to hear that season three music. There we go. Yes. Uh, I'm ready to talk about Survivor now. Oh my God, well, I still know nothing. Beyond, I mean, surviving. <laughs> so, here's the thing. Survivor season three is a great joy. And now you've heard all of that. And you've heard all the, the, the topics I was going to discuss. Survivor season three was, was a great season. It had an excellent... Uh, let's keep all this in mind. Mm-hmm. Before I... before First, no, actually, no. I'm going to give you the joy first. The joy of watching Survivor season three was an excellent time. Uh, we had a competitor who won a bunch of games and won immunity and kept himself in through those, which was fantastic. You had uh, a person who was... Um, 
Well, honestly, you had uh, three or four people who were playing playing that Alliance game to the very end, and the only reason the Alliance was broken at the very end was because of a little of a uh, little um, rough interpersonal relationships, people not taking other people's feelings into consideration. So that actually did invalidate an Alliance at the very end, just because you know got to treat everyone in the tribe equally, and not was not happening even at the very end. Um, just just a few rude words was ultimately what brought down Big Tom. And Big Tom did not make it to the end to get voted on. But um, it was a great season. And I would say that the games were in, more inspired than ever. The, the food challenge, I can't even remember the food challenge. It existed. Um, and everything was honestly really, uh, it was like uh, season two, they didn't have enough food. Season three, food was definitely an issue again, but not the same issue where they were like, you know, li literally their hair was falling out. Um, I would say that overall, as a package, the production is definitely way better. It's mm. still the same game. Uh, the rules didn't change dramatically, although I, I know that they are to change in the coming seasons. Um, and uh, I mean, it's 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 funny to hear you say that in the way because I, I I immediately started thinking about the way that like sitcoms hit their stride. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. like it sounds like, you know, like by season three, like the cameramen and all or the camera people. Right. And all the, you know, whatever. Yeah. I've probably gotten the hang of it. Right. So it's probably like way better in that way just because yeah. of shit like that even. Right. Yeah. I intend to basically uh, when I report on Survivor and because there's 40 by the time there will be 45 seasons by the time I'm done right. with this. Uh, the, 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 the point I bring to talk about Survivor here is to kind of give you like a heartbeat of like the biggest reality show in the world. Like every time we go through a little bit of something, I'm going to give you a little bit of like, where am I at? Like Survivor. Okay. So we're still back in like 2002. And the reason I do that is because I think taking the temperature of the biggest uh, reality show in the world, especially a certain slice of time, very educational. That's all. Can I have a question? Yes. Okay. Because mm -hmm. I don't know if it's happened on Survivor yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And what I mean is, one of the like um, kind of uh, like conditions of a reality show typically is that it's also a group of people who are being isolated from the rest of the outside world, right? So like mm -hmm. we see this happen on right, like so like I imagine on Survivor they're being taken, they're put in put on this island and they're not able to communicate with like friends family back at home right but this happens on things like rupaul's drag race it happens on project runway it happens yeah. on the great british baking show right it happens on like all the innocuous ones right let alone things like rock of love or bachelor yeah. um, right there's always like no like i'm leaving my life behind and i'm betting it all and you know whatever right like there's always that trope right I think my question here is, to what extent has the real world leaked into these episodes of Survivor, right? Okay. So if they're all on the island, right, they're all like, I'm trying to, yes. like, make a fishing lure or some shit, right? Has there been, like, some catastrophic yes. human event yep. in the world that yes. has made them go, holy shit, we need to, like, take a moment from our, like, Robinson Crusoe cosplay? Yes, Yes, absolutely. In season two, I failed to mention when we were on the podcast for some reason, because I've listened to the episode uh, quite a few times because I really like the formula of how that episode works. In season two, 
Um, climate change actually played a bigger factor than I, I mentioned at the time. There was a, a, a large flooding factor that washed away their camp, and I did mention that in the episode. But also, on top of that, there was an amazing, uh, there was an enormous wildfire that was raging in the, the beginning seasons, and the smoke was so thick they were having trouble breathing. Um, they were wearing like wet rags on their face and stuff. Um, and that really did affect morale quite a bit because it, it hung for like two episodes at least. And so, it, you know, it definitely impacted their life for probably a week or so is my guess. Um, and they had to like move to be safe from it. And, but the, the water coming and washing away their camp, I mean, just this past year, year and a half, we've had tremendous floods in Australia where they were and tremendous fires in Australia where they were in Queensland. And, um, and, and to me to see that then maybe on a smaller scale than it was this time, but to then just be, see the echoes of today, you know, going the other direction. Really, I mean, going this way, but, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Seeing that stuff seep in was very alarming to me. That's what I would say. It, it's just something I would never expect. But we did it. It's our fault. Um, so I... Uh... Uh, as you can imagine, all of my friends and loved ones are very strange, interesting people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who, uh, like like you and I, uh, will sometimes decide, we'll, we'll get like a bee in their bonnet to do such and such a thing and are just like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do that now. Oh, like do a podcast um, and, 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 yeah, keep, like and keep recording say, it at 10.05 yeah. p.m.? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. So uh, a buddy of mine said uh, that in the last several weeks that for whatever reason they decided to start going backwards chronologically through every episode of snl that sounds like a really weird thing to do i've never even considered that (laughs) i i would one one i can tell you i wouldn't be able to do it if you include the last 10 to 15 years i would have to start 9 11 i would i would do 9 11 no 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 no, you couldn't i'm gonna tell you right now you couldn't actually get me to watch saturday night live from today backwards that's a mission maybe maybe you could maybe yeah. fuck. i feel like i was like feeling in my gut i'm not even joking like i feel like if you said sat- no, when my friend told me when my friend told me this okay i like literally got this like sense of like ew really like why are like like i'm like do you need a hug like I will why ex- are you doing this to yourself you and i will like, expose it was like ourselves I was horrified yeah, to so I was, much like, horrified but neither of us would do that to ourselves. And that to you is our audience promise that we're not actually harming ourselves. We do actually want to do this. We're not hate yeah, watching. Right. No, we love this. We love yeah, what no, we're we doing, but this. that we will Oof. not do. And that's not in our scope. I'm going to leave that to someone else. Someone yeah. else wants to do that. That person wants to make a podcast. I'm not going to listen to it. Cause no, it would anyway, probably make me um, vomit, but <laughs> okay. But right. Sorry. Sorry. That person. Here, I love you. Here, Please here listen some, to the podcast. No, I love them. No, I, I wish they would I commend make a podcast your research. about them. I, I would, I, I like actually kind of want them, I want to invite them on. They might have to Please. use a pseudonym, which would be fine, but I, I definitely want to do this. Anyway, yeah. so I did ask this person a, a couple of key questions because mm-hmm. I was like, just so I was like horrified, of course, but like any, any train wreck, I can't look away. And so I was like, okay, here are my questions. Like, what are the best parts of, of you doing this? Like, I can imagine what the worst parts are. And and they said that definitely the best parts remain the commercials. Mm-hmm. 
anytime there's like a commercial parody that that's the part that they can really like ground themselves in like a moment like because they'll like get lost like yeah they can make a miley cyrus joke or whatever but like miley was around for a chunk of time right so it's still fuzzy um even with the musical guests that becomes fuzzy is what they said um and they said that of course weekend update is their attempt to report on reality yeah. and say it like that to me but that was what they you know and of course like there's always the news which is like you know telling you what happened and that dates it and i was like okay and they said uh that that still was very unsettling especially when they got to the very first mention of covid oh i don't like reliving that at all yeah <laughs> I don't want the. And I, I don't I was want that like, back again. I was like, yo, I was like, that. That is a, I was quite like, a mission. That's I don't, why I was like, what a I was like, I was like, this Ooh. person is well, clearly built of a greater metal than I am. But I was like, you know, also impressed in some. Do you know what's the funny right? thing because... though, Kathy? Most people would say that about what we're doing. Almost yeah, everyone maybe. would literally oh say God. that about what we're doing. So. <laughs> well, we love it. So I don't. Know we what do to fucking say love it so, so much. That's why it's perfect for us. Clearly enjoying this. No, like I was like. Like, I was like, I gotta go. I have, like, meetings and shit, but I really wish I could continue this for, like, 12 more hours. Like, I have so many questions. So I literally just found this out a few days ago, like, uh, that they were doing it and that they had progressed as far as they did. They said that they did start kind of skipping chunks, um, but that they're excited to get back to the parts from when they were actually watching it. See that was there was never a time in my life where I was regularly watching it. See, I I did. I had a little period of time when I so I think when I started watching it was the seasons. Um, it was like an anniversary season, and G Smith was still doing it, and um, it was like it was like the end of the old generation, right? Like with Al Franken and like Norm MacDonald, but it's like, as I'm sorry, uh, Kevin Nealon is who I meant to say, as it's transitioning to like the Norm MacDonald's and the Adam Sandler's and the Chris Farley. So like I started watching uh, when Dennis Miller was like on his way out of Weekend Update. Yeah, and Dennis Miller to me was like hilarious because I was like seven or whatever, and Al Franken was that's doing so funny the news. Too. I remember the only Al time Franken I ever Al Franken was yeah. doing the news with fucking that dude. Yeah, Dennis Miller. Anyway, that's the so only funny. time I remember listening to Dennis Miller was back in that whatever that show that era. Because yeah. I just remember seeing adults having it on TV and then being like, "Oh, what is this?" Not understanding. Oh, look, they're sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting near an all adult right. hearing about the news. So let, let me say this to everyone at home. Um, in almost two hours on the clock. Let me say oh my this. God, We've been having a great time, though. Oh my God. The secret world exists. It's out there. Don't don't be afraid of it, though, because you don't really have to. I mean, they've made the world so that we don't actually have to. We can pretend like it doesn't exist, and we don't have to worry about it. So proceed as such. Don't worry about it. Just keep watching everything, and don't 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 worry. When you go to bed at night, know that the president of the United States goes to bed every night not thinking about this at all. He might know about it. He probably does. Probably three, four, five days in office, or maybe when he was vice president, he learned about it. But honestly, this stuff... That dude is asking for more pudding right now. Fuck that dude. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the... No one... People in power know about all kinds of things you and I have no clue about. What does it matter? It doesn't. 
Doesn't matter at all. Can it help us? Mm, I mean, knowing the context of what they want to keep hidden and not is kind of relevant, but ultimately you're never the person that's going to make the individual difference. You don't work for an organization. And if you did, then you'd already be doing something you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. So that's what I have to say on the subject. The secret world is vast and interesting, and who knows who's a part of it, right? Maybe someone listening to this could be a part of it. I suspect that someone listening to this could be a part of it. Does it matter? Nope. I'm still going to say whatever I'm going to say, and so will everyone else who comes on this podcast. Well, you know what? I know that I'm part of a secret world. I know that I get to, like, I feel like I do see reality for what it is, and Mm -hmm. I feel like I get to, like, I've also said this, right? Like, I say this every single day. Yes, I work in a profession that is very challenging and confronts reality in very difficult ways on a day-to-day basis. I have never felt so hopeful. I know that sounds nuts to people. That's funny. It's funny you say that because that was the feeling that I had at the beginning of the podcast and then um, couldn't, I didn't know what to say about it, like coming out of that movie. I had that kind of feeling, mm-hmm. which is maybe not the, mm-hmm. I, maybe that's what that message at the I, end okay, was supposed to engender. Okay, you JFK. I was at city council for like six hours yesterday, not in person. I was watching that shit like on Zoom or whatever, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. that is still like a fucking, that, that's, that's, that's like psychic damage that I just took deliberately, right? Yeah, we do that to ourselves. And I love every single fucking minute of it. It's better, better than re-watching an episode of Parks and Rec. Let me also say that. Like, I love watching city council do their thing because that's reality and that's the confrontation of it. And yeah. I think that too, right? Like, I may, I may use like escapism or whatever and I may make jokes about it, but I know for a fact no one is watching as much city council government meetings as I am. You know what, Kathy? Basis. Next time you're watching, and in previous, because I, I have watched like one one thing with you before. But um, next mm-hmm. time you're watching, make little like comments with timestamps and stuff, and I'll go back and I'll edit together like a little clip video that we can play for people to kind of have an experience of what that's like, so that they can get it right here without having to go anywhere else. I think that would be okay. Fun. So I will just mention that I could do this immediately because of yesterday's city council meeting. Oh, you took notes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no. And timestamps, because this is how I operate, because this is how I learn. But uh, long story short, our city's agenda was full of a lot of, quote unquote, controversial agenda items for the city council, including things like workforce and funding for our local police department, a potential raise for the fire department, um, a number of funding for a variety of housing uh, projects throughout the throughout the city um there were like full like there were appointments to city offices like full on what i would consider items of substance actual debate things that i was looking forward to just hearing my community and what they were going to say i mean certainly i always have something to say i wasn't going to say anything yesterday but you know what the majority of people were upset about Hmm. um the fact that the city had to take down the banners that acknowledged our veterans really which were hanging on the light poles that seems like such okay? an old-fashioned issue that wouldn't even be like a thing like at that level we were also discussing the regulatory legalities of encampments permanent encampments semi-permanent encampments for our unhoused neighbors again items of quote-unquote controversy and substance Every single person in public comment, all they could talk about were the banners. And while I appreciate our well, troops. I understand. The people out there who would, you know. 
I, I was I was just like so we're, we're, we're not we're not watching the same reality, right? Like we're talking about our unhoused neighbors and more affordable housing and more funding for the police and you're here about your veterans banners. Like I'm sorry, like I I I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's there to say? I don't even know what what did anyone say anything to them about that at all, or was it just like oh no? Because it's on just the public because public comment is is banners. you know public comment means that city wow. just takes it, listens, and they go okay, thank you. Two minutes are on the clock. Next, right? But like that's all it was, and public comment was like okay, hold on. Uh, petitions from yeah, public comment started at eight p.m. I stopped. I, I switched over to watching Kitchen Nightmares on and put the <laughs> council meeting on mute at eleven thirty p.m. That's cr okay. and then I fell asleep really watching. Do. That's like falling asleep watching nightmares. a baseball game because you fell asleep watching watching a, city yeah, I, so instead of, yeah. So instead of yeah. So instead of a mid yeah. Instead of a nightmare baseball game. Holy shit! I wow. was like, I, I mean, again. I had a delightful time. Well, please pull up those clips. I definitely want to see those clips. Um, I'll, I'll link them to you. Yes. All right. And, uh, and as Bless we, you. Yes. And I'm going to play this song. Well, here, I'll, I can play that song as we go out. Um, thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me, Kathy. I appreciate as it always. so much every week. It's. Uh, I know the audience does. And our audience is growing, as it turns out. I've been looking at different platforms. So let me give you a clue. Here's a little one free tip as a one podcaster to perhaps another out there. Post your podcast on Spotify, um, and then when you push your product out there, use, or no, well, put your thing on Spotify, put it on Apple Music, put it on all the other services, but really the one you want to push when you're posting something, SoundCloud. Use SoundCloud because they can click wherever it is, and it plays instantly wherever. So, And if you're on a phone, it switches to the app. Done. That's what you want, and then you, uh, you leave the other services. You just post them wherever. I don't know. People figure it out. But uh, SoundCloud, instant link. And uh, that's that's all I have. I don't know. There was a lot more I could have said. I could have spoke about season three of Survivor Forever. I watched a bunch of things that we're going to talk about. We'll talk about the Q documentary in the future soon, too, because um, I might even need a guest for us to really talk about the things I want to talk about relating to, like, the world of the veil. of. Reality. Oh, we have so much. Yeah, we have so many logistics oh. on our guests to work out, uh, too. Yeah, no, yeah, we yeah. got No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll pick this up later. Yes. We've had a hell of a day. Yeah. You know what? We have, and, 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 and I'm sure other people want to talk to us, too. So... I'm going to go ahead and, and play this song. And uh, Kathy, uh, functionally, I suppose you can leave whenever you like. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you very soon. Bye. I shoot the lights out. it's bright out. Thank you, everyone home. Goodbye. Just another lonely night. Are you willing to sacrifice your life? Ah! Mm -hmm. Bitch, I'm a no good blood sucker. Fat motherfucker, now look who's in trouble. As you run through my jungles, all you hear is rumbles. Kanye West samples, here's one for example. Gossip, gossip, nigga, just stop it. Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. Profit, profit, nigga, I get it. Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. I'ma need to see your fucking hands. Best living or dead, hands down, huh? Let's talk more here right now, huh? And my eyes more red than the devil is. And I'm about to take it to another level, bitch. Now who you going to get? Ain't nobody.
code is this, do the rap and attract, triple double no assist, and my only focus is staying on some bogus shit, arguing with my older bitch, acting like I owe a shit, I heard the beat, the same raps that gave the track pain, bought the chain that always give me back pain, fucking up my money so yeah I had to act sane, shy nigga but these hoes love my accent, shit came up to me and said, this the number two dial, if you wanna make it number one, you're number two now, miss that goose in Malibu, I call it Malibu, yeah, goddamn easy, I would hit him with a new style, know that motherfucker well, what you gonna do now, whatever I wanna do, gosh, it's cool now, now I'm gonna do, ah, it's a new now, think you motherfucker really, really need to cool out, Cause you'll never get on top of this So mommy best advice is just to get on top of this Have you ever had sex with a pharaoh? I put the pussy in a sarcophagus Now she claiming that I bruise her esophagus Head of the class and she just wanna swallow shit I'm living in the future so the present is my past My presence is a present, kiss my ass Gossip, gossip, nigga just stop it Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert Profit, profit, nigga I got it Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert I'ma need to see your fucking hands Sasquatch, Godzilla, King Kong, Loch Ness, Goblin, Ghoul, a zombie with no conscience. Question, what do these things all have in common? Everybody knows I'm a motherfucking monster. Conquer, stop it, stop your silly nonsense. Nonsense, none of you niggas know where the swamp is. None of you niggas have seen the carnage that I've seen. I still hear things scream in my dreams. Murder, murder, and black convertibles. I kill a block, I murder the avenues. I Raping pillage of village women and children. Everybody wanna know what my Achilles heel is. Love, I don't get enough of it. All I get is these vampires and bloodsuckers. All I see is these niggas I made millionaires milling about, spilling their feelings in the air. All I see is these fake fucks with no fangs trying to draw blood from my ice cold veins. I smell a massacre. Seems to be the only way to back you back. Nigga, just stop it. Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. Profit, profit, nigga, I got it. Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. I'ma need to see your fucking hands. Pull up in a monster automobile gangster with a bad bitch that came from Sri Lanka. Yeah, I'm in a tanga, color a Willy Wonka. You could be the king, but watch the queen conquer. Okay, first things first, I'll eat your brain. Then I'ma start rocking gold teeth and fangs. Cause that's what a motherfucking monster do. He a dresser from Milan, that's the monster do. Monster just every heel, that's the monster show. Young money is the roster and a monster crow. And I'm all up, all up, all up in the bank with the funny face. And if I'm fake, I Wait, I'm the rookie, but my features and my shows ten times. 
gonna record the audio that I <laughs> one sec. Hello. You're here now, so listen to this. Definition. There had to be a conspiracy which 
We believe involves the accused Clay Shaw. 51 witnesses, gentlemen of the jury, thought they heard shots coming from the grassy knoll, which is to the right front of the president. Key witnesses that day? Charles Brent, the combat vet. Right behind, Gene Hill and Mary Mormon. S.M. Holland, Richard Dodd, James Simmons, standing on the overpass. J.C. Price, overlooking the whole plaza. William Newman, father of two children, who hit the deck on the north side of Elm. Abraham Zapruder. Each of these key witnesses has no doubt whatsoever one or more shots came from behind the picket fence. 26 trained medical personnel at Parkland Hospital saw with their own eyes the back of the president's head blasted out. Dr. Peters. And it was a large seven centimeter opening in the right occipital parietal area. A considerable portion of the brain was missing there. Almost a fifth or possibly a quarter of the back of the head had been blasted out along with the underlying well, the brain. Well, the body's a sharper time to declare one dead. There was also a large fragment of skull attached to a flap of the scalp. The exit hole in the rear of his head measured about 120 millimeters or five inches across. Not one of the civilian doctors who examined the president at Parkland Hospital regarded his throat wound as anything but a wound of injury. But then the body was illegally moved to Washington for the autopsy. Because when a coup d'etat has occurred, there's a big difference between an autopsy that is performed by civilian doctors and one that is performed by military doctors under order. The departure of Air Force One from Love Field that Friday afternoon was not so much a takeoff as it was a getaway with the newly sworn-in president. Objection, Your Honor. Sustained. On the plane, of course, Lee Harvey Oswald's guilt was announced by the White House Situation Room to all passengers before any kind of investigation had started. The angry lone nut solution beginning to take its shape. Objection, Your Honor. Sustained. Mr. Garrison, will you please bottle the air? The three Bethesda Naval Hospital doctors picked by the military left something to be desired and so much as none of them had any experience with combat gunfire wounds. Through their autopsy, we've been able to justify eight wounds from just two bullets. Three to Kennedy, five to Conley. One of them being the magic bullet. FBI, here. Colonel Fink, are you saying someone told you not to dissect the neck? I was told that the family wanted examination of the head. Oh, Christ. Let's weigh it. 653 grand. As a pathologist, it was your obligation to explore all possible causes of death, was it not? I had the cause of death. Your Honor, I would ask you to direct the witness to answer my question. Why did Colonel Fink not dissect the tract of the bullet wound? Well, I heard sir. Dr. Hughes stating that. That's enough. That's enough. It's duly noted. Okay, let's check the back, gentlemen. All right. There's a considerable amount of spinal fluid. I can feel it at the end of the wound with my finger. That won't be necessary. Watch the ear, watch the ear. Yes, sir. Shot back. He said, who's in charge here? I am.
I don't remember his name. You must understand, it was quite crowded. And when you were called in circumstances like that to look at the wound of the president who is dead, you don't look around a lot to ask people for their names and who they are. But you were a qualified pathologist. Was his army Did general a qualified pathologist? Was intensely no. private to the Kennedy family. No, but you took his orders. Yes. So he was directing the autopsy? No. No? No, no, because there were others. There were others. There were others. There were admirals. Oh, there were admirals. Oh, yes. And when you are a lieutenant colonel in the army, you just follow orders. It is not our business to discuss this with anyone outside this room. As I recall, it was Admiral Kenny, Surgeon General of the Navy. We were specifically told not to discuss the case. A lot of people that day were deciding what was private, not the American people's business. The chief pathologist, Commander Hughes, by his own admission, voluntarily burned his autopsy notes. President Johnson orders the blood-soaked limousine filled with bullet holes and clues to be immediately washed and rebuilt. He sends John Connolly's bloody suit right to the cleaners. The Justice Department denied this office access to the autopsy photos. And when we finally get a court order to examine President Kennedy's brain in the National Archives, in the hopes of finding from which direction the bullet came from, we're told by the government, your government, that the president's brain has disappeared. That's not all that's disappeared, gentlemen. With it, I think, the concept of justice. Objection, Your Honor. Not only has Mr. Garrison insulted the federal government, but he is also on introducing the roll, a highly So what really happened that day? Let's just for a moment speculate, shall we? We have the epileptic seizure around 12.15 p.m. distracting the police, making it easier for the shooters to move into their places. The epileptic later vanished, never checking into the hospital. The A-team gets on the sixth floor of the depository. Now, they were refurbishing the floors in the depository that week, which allowed unknown workmen in and out of the building. They moved quickly into position just minutes before the shooting. The second spotter on the radio talking to the other two teams has the best overall view. The guard spotter. B team. One rifleman and one spotter with the headset and access to the building moves into the low floor of the Daltex building. The third team, the C team, moves in behind the picket fence above the grassy knoll where the shooter and the spotter are first seen by the late Lee Bowers in the watchtower of the rail yard. They have the best position of all. Kennedy is close and on a flat, low trajectory. Part of this team is a coordinator who's flashed security credentials at several people chasing them out of the parking lot area. Probably two to three more men are down in the crowd on L. Ten to twelve men, three teams, three shooters. The triangulation of five, Clay Shaw and David Barrett discussed two months before. They've walked the plaza. They know every inch. They've calibrated their sights. They've practiced on moving targets. They're ready. Kennedy's motor team makes a turn from Maine on to Houston. It's gonna be a turkey shoot. They don't shoot coming up Houston, which is the easiest shot for a single shooter in the book depository. They wait. They wait till it gets to the killing zone between three rockets. Kennedy makes the final turn from Houston on the L, slowing down to some 11 miles an hour.
shooters across Dean's Plaza Titan, taking their aim. Waiting for the radio to say, green, green, or aboard, aboard. The first shot rings out. Sounding like a backfire, this is the car complete. Friend 161, Kennedy stops waving as he hears something. Connie's head turns slightly to the right. Frame 193, the second shot hits Kennedy in the throat from the front. Frame 225, the president emerging from behind the road sign. You can see that he's obviously been hit, raising his arms to his throat. The third shot, frame 232, hits Kennedy in the back, pulling him downward and forward. Connie, you will notice, shows no signs at all of being hit. He's visibly holding his Stetson, which is impossible if his wrist has been shattered. Conley is turning here now, frame 238. The fourth shot, it misses Kennedy and takes Conley in the back. This is the shot that proves there were two rifles. Conley yells out, my God, they're going to kill us all. Somewhere around this time now, another shot that misses the car completely strikes James Taylor down by the underpass. The sixth and fatal shot, frame 313, takes Kennedy in the head from the front. This is the key shot. The president going back and to his left. Shot from the front and right. Totally inconsistent with the shot from the depository. Again, back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left, back, and to the left. So what happens then? Pandemonium. Shooters quickly disassembled their various all except for Oswald Rifle. credentials from his pocket that showed him to be Secret Service. Let's see right here. You see anybody else up here? No, keep looking. So I accepted that and let him go and continued the search. But I regretted it because this guy looked like an auto mechanic. He had on a sports shirt and pants, but he had dirty fingernails. Afterward, it didn't ring true, but at the time, we were so pressed for time. Yet all Secret Service men in Dallas that day are accounted for. None were on foot in the class, but before or after the shooting until Dallas Secret Service Chief Paul Soros returned to 1255. At least 12 other individuals were taken into custody by Dallas police. No record of their arrest. Men acting like hobos were being pulled off trains, marched through Dealey Plaza, photographed, and yet there's no records of their arrests. Men identifying themselves as Secret Service agents all over the place. But who was impersonating them? And where was Lee Harvey Oswald? Around 12.15, on her way out of the building to see the motorcade, Secretary Carol Arnold sees Oswald in the second floor snack room, where he said he went for a coat. He was in a booth on the right side of the room. Um, he's by himself, as usual, um, appeared to be having his lunch. Uh, I didn't speak to him, but I recognized him. 
At the same time, Bonnie Ray Williams is supposedly eating his chicken lunch in the sixth floor. He's there until 12.15, maybe 12.20. He sees nobody. Arnold Rowland's down on the street. He's looking up. He sees two men in the sixth floor window. Presumably after Bonnie Ray Williams had finished his lunch and left. John Powell, prisoner on the sixth floor of the Dallas County Jail season. Quite a few of us guys saw him. Everybody was hollering and yelling and all that. We thought they were security guys. If Oswald was the assassin, he was certainly pretty nonchalant about moving himself into position. Later, he told Dallas police he was in the second floor snack room. Probably told to wait there by his handler for a phone call. But the phone call never came. A maximum 90 seconds after Kennedy is shot, patrolman Marion Baker runs into Oswald in that second floor lunchroom. Hey, you! You know this man is an employee. Yes, he is. The president's been shot. But what the Warren Commission would have us believe is that after five three-bolt action shots in 5.6 seconds, Oswald then leaves three cartridges immediately side by side in the firing nest, wipes the rifle clear of fingerprints, stashes the rifle on the other side of the lock, sprints down five flights of stairs past witnesses, Victoria Adams and Sam Stuff, who never see him, and shows up cool and calm on the second floor in front of Patrolman Baker. All this within a maximum of 90 seconds of the shooting. Hey, you! You know this man? Is he an employee? Yes, he is. The president's been shot. Is he out of breath? According to Baker, absolutely not. Assuming he is a sole assassin, Oswald is now free to escape from the building. The longer he delays, the more chance the building will be sealed by police. Is he guilty? Does he walk out the nearest staircase? No. He buys a coat, and at a slow pace, spotted by Mrs. Reed on the second floor, he strolls out the more distant front exit, where the cops have gathered. Oddly, considering the three shots have been fired from there, nobody seals the book deposit for ten more minutes. Oswald slips out, as do several other employees. Of course, when he realized something had gone wrong and the president had been killed, he knew there was a problem. He may have even known he was passing. An intuition maybe. The president killed in spite of his warning. The phone call that never came. Perhaps fear now came to Oswald for the very first time. So Oswald returned to his roommate house around 1 p.m. A half hour after the assassination. The man shot the president. He puts on his jacket, grabs his 38 revolver, and leaves at 104. Earlene Roberts, the housekeeper, says she heard two beeps on a car horn and two uniformed cops pulled up to the house where Oswald was in his room like it was a signal or something. Officer Tippett is shot between 110 and 115, about a mile away. And though no one actually saw him walking or jogging, the government says Oswald covered that distance. Now, giving the government the benefit of the doubt, me, Oswald sir. would have had to jog a mile in 6 to 11 minutes and then commit the murder, right here, then reverse his direction right, and yeah, walk three-fifths of a mile to the yes. Texas theater and arrive sometime before 1.30. It's also a useful conclusion, after all. Why else would Oswald kill Tippett unless he just shot the president and feared arrest? Domingo Benavides, the closest witness to the shooting, refused to identify Oswald as a killer and was never taken to a lineup. Akila Clemens saw the killer with another man and says they went off in separate directions. Mrs. Clemens was never taken to a lineup or to the Warren Commission. 
At the scene of the crime, Officer J.M. Poe marks the shells with his initials to record the chain of evidence. Those initials are not on the three cartridge cases which the Warren Commission present to him. As early as 12.44, only 14 minutes after the assassination, the police radio put out a description matching Oswald's size and build. Oswald is next seen by shoe salesman Johnny Brewer lurking along Jefferson Avenue. Oswald is scared. He begins to realize the full implications of this thing. He goes into the Texas theater, possibly his prearranged meeting point. But though he has $14 in his pocket, he does not buy the 75-cent ticket. And Brewer has the cashier call the police. In response to the cashier's call, at least 30 officers in a fleet of patrol cars to send on the movie theater. Now, this has to be the most remarkable example of police intuition since the Reichstag fire. And I don't buy it. They knew. Someone knew Oswald was going to be there. Brewer helpfully leads the cops into the theater and from the stage points Oswald out. There he is. for Lee Harvey Oswald, buried in a cheap grave under the name Oswald. Nobody. Within minutes, false statements and precedents about Lee Oswald circulate the globe. The official legend is created and the media takes it from there. The glitter of official lies and the epic splendor of the thought-numbing funeral of JFK confuse the eye and confound the understanding. Hitler always said, the bigger the lie, the more people will believe it. Lee Harvey Oswald, a crazed, lonely man who wanted attention and got it by killing the president, was only the first in a long line of patsies. In later years, Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King, men whose commitment to change and peace would make them dangerous to men who are committed to war would follow. Also killed by such lonely, crazed men. Men who remove our guilt by making murder 
a meaningless act of a loner. We've all become hamlets in our country, children of a slain father leader whose killer still possessed the throne. The ghost of John F. Kennedy confronts us with the secret murder at the heart of the American dream. He forces on us the appalling questions of what is our Constitution made? What is our citizenship and more our lives worth? What is the future of a democracy where a president can be assassinated under conspicuously suspicious circumstances while the machinery of legal action scarcely trembles? How many more political murders disguised as heart attacks, suicides, cancers, drug overdoses? How many airplane and car crashes will occur before they are exposed for what they are? Treason doth never prosper, wrote an English poet. What's the reason? Well, if it prosper, none dare call it treason. The American public is yet to see the Zapruder film. Why? The American public is yet to see the real x-rays and photographs of the autopsy. Why? There are hundreds of documents that could help prove this conspiracy. Why are they being withheld or burned by the government? Each time my office or you, the people, have asked those questions, demanded crucial evidence. The answer from on high has always been national security. What kind of national security do we have when we've been robbed of our leaders? What national security permits the removal of fundamental power from the hands of the American people and validates the ascendancy of invisible government in the United States? That kind of national security, gentlemen, the jury, is when it smells like it, feels like it, and looks like it. You call it what it is. Fascism. I submit to you that what took place on November 22, 1963, was a coup d'etat. Its most direct and tragic result was the reversal of President Kennedy's commitment to withdraw from Vietnam. The war is the biggest business in America worth $80 billion a year. President Kennedy was murdered by a conspiracy that was planned in advance at the highest levels of our government, and it was carried out by fanatical and disciplined cold warriors in the Pentagon and CIA's covert operation apparatus, among them Clay Shaw here before you. It was a public execution, and it was covered up by like-minded individuals in the Dallas Police Department, the Secret Service, the FBI, and the White House, all the way up to, including J. Edgar Hoover and Lyndon Johnson whom I consider accomplices after the fact. The assassination reduced the president to a transient official. His job, his assignment, is to speak as often as possible of this nation's desire for peace while he acts as a business agent in the Congress for the military and their hardware manufacturers. Now, some people say I'm crazy. <laughs> Southern caricature seeking higher office. Well, there is a simple way to determine if I am paranoid. Let's ask the two men who profited the most from the assassination, your former president, Lyndon Baines Johnson, and your new president, Richard Nixon, to release the 51 CIA documents pertaining to Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby. Or the secret CIA memo on Oswald's activities in Russia that was destroyed while being photocopied. All these documents are yours. The people's property. You pay for it. But because the government considers you children who might be too disturbed or distressed to face this reality, or because you might possibly lynch those involved, you cannot see these documents for another 75 years. I'm in my early 40s. 
So I'll have shuffled off this mortal coil by then, but I'm already telling my eight-year-old son to keep himself physically fit so that one glorious September morning in the year 2038, he can walk into the National Archives and find out what the CIA and the FBI knew. They may even push it back then. Hell, it may become a generational affair with questions passed down, father to son, mother to daughter. But someday, somewhere, someone may find out the damn truth. We better, we better, or we might just as well build ourselves another government, like the Declaration of Independence says to when the old one ain't working, just, just a little farther out west. American naturalist wrote, a patriot must always be ready to defend his country against its government. I'd hate to be in your shoes today. You have a lot to think about. You've seen much hidden evidence the American public has never seen. You know, going back to when we were children, I think that most of us in this courtroom thought that justice came into being automatically. That virtue was its own reward, that, that good would triumph over evil. But as we get older, we know this just isn't true. Individual human beings have to create justice, and this is not easy because the truth often poses a threat to power, and one often has to fight power at great risk to themselves. People like S.M. Holland, Lee Bowers, Gene Hill, Willie O'Keefe, they've all taken that risk. They've all come forward. I have here some $8,000 in these letters sent, sent to my office from all over the country. Quarters, dimes, dollar bills from housewives, plumbers, car salesmen, teachers, invalids. These are people who cannot afford to send money, but do. These are the ones who drive the cabs, who nurse in the hospitals, who see their kids go to Vietnam. Why? Because they care. Because they want to know the truth. Because they want the country back. Because it still belongs to us. As long as the people have the guts to fight for what they believe in. Truth is the most important value we have, because if the truth does not endure, if the government murders truth, if, it, if we cannot respect the hearts of these people, then this is not the country in which I was born in, and it's certainly not the country that I want to die in. Denison wrote, authority forgets a dying king. This was never more true than for John F. Kennedy, whose murder was probably one of the most terrible moments in the history of our country. You, the people, the jury system, sitting in judgment on Clay Shaw, represent the hope of humanity against government power. And discharging your duty and bringing the first conviction in this house of cards against Clay Shaw, that's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Do not forget your dying king. Show this world that this is still a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Nothing as long as you live will ever be more important. It's up to you.